0: Look at your objectives, now back to me. Now back to the objectives, now back to me. I'm on a horse. Welcome to episode 51 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast, a non competitive 40k podcast where we focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Daniel Folly. Hello again, it's me. And Dave Barker.
1: Hello, hello everybody, hello listeners.
0: As always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, follow us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. Join our growing Discord server, and now you can also find us over on YouTube, where we produce regular narrative battle reports. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions, or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon, and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the podcast and supports the growth of the Narrative Wargamer YouTube channel. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming majors. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store and that way any purchases you make will directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. And tonight, it seems like a little bit of a uh, a reunion of sorts for our community because it has been a while, hasn't it, guys? It has. Well, yeah, I've
1: not seen you for a while, Tony. I, I, I did see uh, Dan a couple of weeks ago at the club.
0: Though. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I haven't seen you since the last uh, narrative uh, wargaming event,
0: at Crucible. So, uh, yeah, and yeah. that was in person. Like uh, before that, that I last had you both on the show. Um... In the last couple of months, of, uh, we've been graced with the presence of Mr. Sharpie and a couple of other guests, so it's actually been a while since we've had you two on the on the show together. Absolutely. No, it's all good. So it's uh, It's nice to have you back, and uh, I do apologize, listeners, for having been a little while between this episode and the last episode. I know that um, while we have sort of moved now to a more monthly format in order to provide some time for me to actually do all this YouTube editing that I have now with my schedule, Um it has also just been getting to a very busy time of year for a lot of people, ourselves included, and life has got in the way for the last couple of weeks. But um, the upside of that, though, is it does mean that we now have in hand the new Astro Militarum Codex. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, tonight's main topic, when we get around to it later, is going to be the Astra Militarum on Crusade so it has been uh, worth the wait i suppose because it does mean that we've now got that to talk about can can i change the name of it
2: too and and you'll understand why it's not Astra militarum on crusade it's Astra militarum on tour you'll
3: understand why
2: later
1: (laughs) yes i mean is it really Astra militarum it's been so long since you had a codex isn't it imperial guard
2: this
0: is a family podcast
1: (laughs) i don't want
3: to
0: say anything rude but you're going the right way about it Hey, it's been that long we've got a new lord solar yes
3: <laughs>
0: to be fair arguably um one of many as it were because while he's a lord solar i believe in theory there's also should be things like lord pacificus Lord tempestus and so on because they're, they're meant so to tough. be the yeah. yeah they're meant to be the like the heads of the astra Tower within those uh, segmentums of the yeah. imperium so um, yeah, that's its whole deal, which we will get to later. As for the rest of tonight, um, we're going to uh, have a little bit of a catch up with what we've been up to and stuff in our paint station garrison and what we're currently working on. Um, and we are also going to have our sort of next Tales from the Crucible. <coughs> uh, but that's going to be because since the last time we recorded, um, the Crucible of War 2 has happened. It has come and gone. And um, both uh, Dan and Dave were there, and they're going to take us through their sort of time on the day, the games they played, and the general experience they had. So we're going to have some first-hand tales from the Crucible tonight. And um, yeah, if you are interested in attending a future Crucible of War event, then tickets for Crucible of War Free are on sale right now it's going to be taking place on march 11th 2023 and yeah you can go over to tabletop events right now and uh, there'll be tickets available on there along with the latest event pack so if you've um, listened to anything we've talked about on the show before to do with the crucible and you fancy giving it a go or coming down and getting involved tickets are available now for early next year and um, if you haven't well then hang on Wait till later in the episode, and you'll be able to hear all about it and what it's like. And if, then, if it sounds like something you might be interested in attending, then you can uh, go check that out and have a look because we'd love to see you there. We'd love to get more people involved and just generally give everybody a great time. So, yeah. But speaking of time, I've been spending a lot of time recently editing videos of all things, not just podcasts anymore, because in the last sort of two months, really, the. Uh, the narrative wargamer youtube channel has finally sort of taken off really and is uh, up and running we may have had a couple of guests on now including um other other dan as it were
2: <laughs> i i like to think tony that i've given you the opportunity to, to stare at my face for copious amounts of time um
0: just to enjoy it really and you're welcome I mean, that is true. I've had many, many of hours of opportunity to stare at Dan's face now. <laughs> and if you would like a, a good solid If you would hours... like to stare at Dan's face too, what? <laughs> uh, you can do. In fact, there is three hours of it over on...
3: <laughs> just staring at my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't
0: just staring at your face, though. It was, uh, it was staring at some very beautifully painted Cadians. Thank you. Um who regrettably now have uh, an out-of-date codex in that particular battle report but that doesn't change the fact it was a ton of fun to play anyway and still very thematic and uh, interesting story to watch it was and
2: i want to come back and re i mean no spoilers but i want to try out a death strike again now
0: that would be yeah, yeah they've definitely changed up how death strikes work in a very interesting way um, but yeah, I'd be interested to get the Astro Militaron back on the channel in the near future so we can see what the 9th Ed Codex is for. What the 9th Ed Codex is like for them just in time before 10th Fed drops. Shut up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, other than that though... Don't be, um, Don't be daft, Tony. There's going to be a third Space Marine Codex before that happens.
0: Of course. I mean, we've still got a World Ears one to come in the meantime, to be honest you can go check that out now so there's um there's two battle reports that are live at time of recording so that's uh, the first one being against uh, dan wellington's ad mech with and um, me playing with my dev skulls. the second one uh, against daniel's um lovely acadians again with my dev skulls, and um releasing later this week but currently available in early access for patrons is the third battle report on the channel which features chris wildman's uh, space wolves so um Chris of Unrelenting Brush fame, that is. So, yeah, um, that's going to be going live later this week, and that was a lot of fun to do as well. I'm I'm getting into the swing of it now. Like, there was a lot of hours spent putting together all the initial assets and the cinematics and all the rest of it, and a huge shout-out to both um, RJ Bailey and Chris Iden, who are the various voice actors who have been contributing lines to the... uh, Can I say that now I can't look at... I
2: can't look at Kursk, my general, without hearing a German accent now, which is brilliant. I love the fact that he's got this camp German accent, which he, in my head now he keeps.
0: It was really good, wasn't it? All the different sort of um, accents that RJ did. I particularly enjoyed the, uh, the Scottish Deathstrike pilot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he brings the characters to life brilliantly. And um, yeah, if you... Um, if you haven't uh, listened to anything that he's done before, well, one, you can go and listen to some of his voice acting uh, over on the Battle Reports that we produce. But also, um, he's got his own podcast as well. We've mentioned it before, which is the um, Old X podcast, where he reads out some of the like the short story snippets from old like third edition 40-kit codexes. does brilliantly on there. Um, he's done a bunch of other things as well. He does like the voice intro, uh, the voice intro to Forty uh, Curious, uh, another podcast. He's great on there, um, and yeah, he's also got um, his own um, audio book podcast called Bailey's Bookshelf, where he um, he does read like dramatic readings of um, various uh, famous books. So I think the first one he did was War of the Worlds, so I think he's got a brilliant voice for that. <laughs> So yeah, good. go check him out, and uh, yeah. Uh, I, I have to ask you, uh, what have you thought so far, Dan, of these cinematic intros as a whole? I must admit <laughs> they're the my favourite bit... <laughs> I do re-watch them.
2: <laughs> I just sit there. Yeah, oh, I could watch the Battle Report, I'm just gonna watch the end. No, they're, they're cool because what they do is they just bring the characters to life, so... Yeah, they do. Like, I know, in my head, my my general, I, I have a headcanon, Kursk doesn't like Tabruk. Tabruk's sort of like the junior upstart officer, but he's really good at his job. Kursk is a bit incompetent, but I now have voice to them, and they just just sound cool. And it's like, yes, they they definitely would sound like that, and they've been there. And it's ah uh, yeah, so yes, I like the that they, they get my thumb seal of approval.
0: Lovely. <clears> I have to be. I I do think they're some of the the most fun parts of producing them because I really enjoy writing the lines. For them. It's like I, I create the script for it all. Um, so that, that's fun, sort of doing a little bit of amateur storytelling, as it were, within the universe. I'm trying to uh, make sure that you use like terminology and things that f- sort of feel 40k esque um, is an interesting challenge. Um, but then when I send those voice lines off uh, to either Chris or RJ, um, when I get that email back with the the little audio file, and I'm just like, ooh, what's it going to sound like? It's just so exciting to hear what the characters are going to be like when they come to life, because I don't s- specify an accent or anything like that. I just sort of give general emphasis and emotions to the lines. Um, I mean, you couldn't have life. made Kursk sound any more perfect, or he couldn't have made it, it so It was so cool. Big shout-out to them. And I-, I think the having those little cinematic um, intros... And outros, sort of like framing narrative of the games, and using the moments when we use stratagems in game to sort of just have a little, um, sort of like cutaway moment to a little scene in the fight where we then have the characters sort of acting out as if they're what's going on? Really, is a lovely little trademark now, I think, and like a hallmark of it. A it's also—I'm
2: I, I, not going to lie, Tony—you've obviously played Dawn of War* because. <laughs> that's
0: basically Dawn of War. It looks like Dawn of War as well, which is really cool. <clears throat> it's, it's it's like Dawn of War comes to life with figures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's lovely. <laughs> um I I've, I've got plans for all sorts of different things to to happen depending on what stratagems and cinematic moments come up. Um there's <laughs> there's some very fun things that happen to some very unfortunate grots in the next battle report.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so yeah, look forward to that. Um, so yeah, that, like that is one of the main things that I've been up to recently, so when I've not been busy filming, recording, or otherwise editing <laughs> power reports, um, I've been doing some painting. So I'm sure you guys have too, so we'll jump over now to the Paint Station Garrison. Paint Station Garrison And we're back. So I give a little prelude there of what I've been up to recently. I'm pretty sure we can all guess what Daniel's been up to. But before we get to that, why don't we listen to what Dave's been up to recently?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I got my paint station garrison. I've been playing uh, a 40k adjacent game a little bit more recently. I've got quite into all this heresy and um, building things out, which is. Um, One of the things we did uh, a couple of months ago, certainly since last time I was on the podcast, is um, I went up to Warhammer World with a couple of lads from the club in the summer, uh, Luke and Lee, and we played a narrative tournament. Not a tournament, a narrative series of linked games. Um, The first game was a first edition 40k game uh, where we were trying to get some clues by killing some orcs. Um, Then we played to find out where this, this lost sword was. Then we played a Horus Heresy game uh, in which the sword was lost. Um, so we did sort of the flashback thing, like you get in a novel. And then we played a, a, a final game, of 40k, where we came back and um, and tried to uh, fight... I can't remember who it was, it was Eldar. Uh, Space Marines against Eldar to try and recover the lost sword. So uh, a little narrative around the same sword that spanned 10,000 years. Uh, it, was, it was really quite fun to play on the tables at Warhammer World. Yeah, that was kind of good. But one of the reasons for putting that Horus Heresy game in the middle was we'd be really getting quite excited by it uh, down in the club. uh, Luke is... uh, Sorry, Lee is really quite happy because he he looked at Horus Heresy when I want to play Horus Heresy, but I cannot paint another Space Marine Army. (laughs) So um, he's now really happy that the uh, codex that contains the Custodes has been released. Um, And uh, he's been slowly painting the Custodes over the summer, and we have the first game against those last week so that's that's compromised quite a lot of my painting uh, my, my main faction i'm going to go for i don't think it'll surprise podcast listeners i'm, I'm playing rainbow warriors and the whole of course uh, there was no legion but, um rainbow warriors are ultramarine successors, so i'm playing ultramarines really uh but uh, the 77th chapter of ultramarines uh, the rainbow uh, chapter um, so i've gone for more of a classic color scheme i know a few of our listeners have seen my army now either on the Facebook page, or uh, perhaps in, in person at the, 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 the tournament. and um, But these guys are much more like the, the first edition Rainbow Warriors that appear in the first edition rulebook. Uh, dark blue, with a multicoloured stripe on their helmet, and a fairly simple insignia. But that um, is of great benefit to me, and my paint station garrison, because it means they're much easier to paint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not, full, so, not
0: fully uh, multicoloured, rainbowed Power armor all the way across.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So um, yeah, I just found quite a nice uh, airfix undercoat actually, uh, which is a nice dark look. which highlight them uh, and then pick out the detail, and they, they turn around fairly fast. So I finished painting a. I painted a squad of actually Ultima Terminator armor, uh, which I proxy as uh, as one of the types as a feel fit, depending on the armor list I'm building. But that was just really to get the. The scheme down and make sure it worked in a slightly more complex version of, uh, of what it was. The first one I actually painted with the at the horse Hersey weekend day at the Warmer world. I was fortunate enough to go there and um, use their paints just to try it out to make sure it would work on one of the new Mark 6 models, which are really lovely. I built a lot of them, I painted quite a lot of them now as well. And, um, the other thing I'm doing is I- I'd like a little backup army of, of Alpha Legion. so I think uh, listeners know Dan it's uh, susceptible to being persuaded to custom paint uh, for the right amount of money. <laughs> and uh, I've got Dan to paint me a squad of uh, Alpha Legion to, to sit on, light, on side of them and, and sneak onto the table every now and again. So um, I think that came out really quite well. We used one of those colour shift paints that I got. and uh, I got you to airbrush on them right now. Yeah, they're an interesting paint. <laughs> yeah, it's green stuff will colour shift paints move between two different colours. So this one moves between blue and green. And it was a bit, it was a bit yellow, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it? so I added some. Hang on, I've got it in front of me. Uh, ethematic blue over the top, and it yep. toned it back down to a sort of greeny sea, sea greeny blue, um,
1: and shiny as well. So they really pop, and that's fantastic. So I really appreciate those done. So that wasn't my painting, but it's kind of both. <laughs> of <us. laughs> um, and then, other than that, I've been painting other stuff. So we've been talking about doing uh, really classic Mordheim. again, more storytelling, more narrative stuff. So those that remember the Mordheim game, is set in the old world, a fantasy skirmish game uh, fighting for warpstone in the ruins of Mordheim. So I painted uh, two armies, two's two, uh, not armies, what what would you call them? Gangs, I suppose, uh, for that. Sisters of Sigmar gang with the old models, and uh, from a third body supply I found an undead goblin warband. A goblin uh, vampire with a number of goblin skeletons, (laughs) and a a little goblin um, necromancer. So that was was a bit random and weird painted a random crocodile and I painted Kit. Uh, For those that remember Night Rider, his uh, AI-powered car was called Kit and I found a model of that at a a trade show uh, that I went to and uh, that was really fun to paint and uh, a good practice for my edge highlighting um, because uh, painting a black car is, um, you've got to think about how you're going to do it. (laughs) You can't just paint it black and leave it. So that's most of the stuff I've been finished. Uh, also, on what's coming next? More of the Warriors for us, I say. And I've also got the really classic lemon Russ model with his two wolves on my tabletop at the moment. The one that's um, the old 25mm space marine size lemon Russ which is quite amusing when I have him next to my model of Magnus. He's <laughs>
3: uh,
1: a little bit taller these days.
0: You do wonder how he managed to break Magnus's back over his knee. Yep, yep. <laughs>
1: he's only an inch tall and Magnus is his... Uh, He's about 12 inches tall, isn't
0: he? Something like that. Um, well then, um, other than Alpha Legion, it seems, what else have you been painting recently? Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so It's normally me that does that. So I have
2: been painting some Adeptus Titanicus stuff. I have been painting uh, some Space Wolves for a tournament I'm about to go to. Uh, uh, what else have I been? painting second edition stuff i have oh yeah i know what i've been doing because i've just remembered it because i think i put it on the facebook group because it's a guard related thing and that would be sensible in a podcast that we we're talking about guard um i have created my own lord solar who lord solar not lord solar who um it all started with looking at my creed model going he's not in the codex anymore that's really sad and then i put him on in front of on some steps and then i added some other models and then it became like a whole um meeting um where kel is just shouting and everyone's going for, for goodness sake we're trying to have a meeting here kel um, and he's waving <laughs> his flag about uh i put the gc cult um tactical table and they're all like having a meeting and it's all glowing and it looks
1: awesome. tactical table of the games workshop building.
2: Yes, yeah. Annoyingly, though, I found out that the base size is not the right one, but I don't care because I'm not going to be using it in any anything but friendly games. Because I, I don't know if you know this, Tony, but I can't stand the horsey model. But not for the same know. reason as everybody else. Because I, I don't, don't like it because it's not ostentatious enough. <laughs> needs more skulls needs more skulls and wires and it's too clean it's too clean
0: um, that's why I don't like it I'm, I'm sure you could buddy it up <laughs> but you don't need to because yeah I've, I have seen your sort of like little diorama and uh, yeah it looks great and I think I, I, it's one of those things where I think as soon as you sort of say to, to someone you know I'm using it as this it makes complete sense yeah like you know I'm, I'm pretty sure you know uh, Lord Solar, is it Leontis? Yeah, Leantis. Like Le- Le- yeah. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Even from both the narrative and probably rules perspective, he's all more about being a commanding piece in the army, and you know, being uh, sort of like a force multiplier, giving up buffs and orders and commands and all the rest of it. Yeah. And not so much being a you know, a twelve-foot-tall beat stick monster. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he, he is. Bent. <laughs> to, you know. I shouldn't have mentioned Magnus, should I? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
3: he,
2: I think mean, he definitely is. Um, and the that's the thing. I think the guard, uh, the guard range is missing. Is sort of like a a proper uh, high command model, and it's quite a nice way of doing it as a as a high command model. Yeah. So, like having it as some sort of meeting. The only thing I'm missing is a bloke with a. A little tray with some ferrero rocher and a um and some tea on it
3: which would be quite cool right. i
0: was gonna ask um where was it you got the is it the aeronautica pilot guy because i i, I recognize obviously the astropath model i recognize you know uh, creed and kel um, and yeah. the um the like the gene stealer um comms guy as it were Andy. yeah
2: oh no that's a conversion that that the gc wow. the cult i literally just took the arms off and put it on a tank commander so it's actually yeah. that one's of it but the i know the guy you're talking about um dave kindly donated to me uh, a titan
0: princeps is that what he is
2: yeah princeps. and and oh, he basically lovely. said
0: you know you can do something with this and i went yes i can Um, that that makes perfect sense why he'd be at the like the war councils were.
2: yeah i i i may add a commissar in um but i haven't quite decided whether i wanted to or not yet it's kind of like uh will it become too busy and uh, i
0: like it as it is at the moment it's quite nice out of interest how many wounds does lord solar have I think he's got eight, but I will just
2: double-check because I have the handy-dandy book down here. He's hideable, so it's either eight or nine.
0: Yeah. Um, it is. Because it could be interesting.
3: And he obviously eight. Makes
1: seven I was right. base then, doesn't he? Well, that's he what, is what I was going to say.
0: It could it could be interesting if you actually were to pin each of the characters to the model, and you could remove a council member every time he loses a group. <laughs> if, if, if he well, has eight members on the council. Yeah. In...
2: Interestingly, he is strength six, and that's exactly the same strength as Kel with the Power Fist. So, you know.
0: Um, yeah, and, you know, him shouting orders and stuff and everything and yeah. having the inspiring banner just makes sense. You know? The only thing I can't work out, not that I would anyway,
2: but the only thing I can't work out is how he gets movement 12. Uh, I just like the idea that they pack <laughs> everything up really quickly, put the Benny Hill music on, and then tootle off into well, the sunset has he oh. got a jetpack no yeah. I'm not giving him a jetpack Dave don't be ridiculous this is 40k yeah. we need serious
0: talk here. <laughs> all you need is a commissar then he can just shout move 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 I'll <laughs> <That'll> do it <laughs> um but yeah no, that's, that's a brilliant little um like conversion you put together there it looks great and you can go see it over in our facebook group if um you do want to see all possibly over on your instagram which is yeah um... i've
2: done some tutorials on the little glowy thing as well so if anyone wants to know i've done that i did some um, tutorials so... on that what was your instagram
0: handle again uh good question at garage hobbit that's it that's the one yeah so you can go check that out there Um yeah, so it sounds like has that been kind of your prelude to getting your guard ready for the new book as it were?
2: Yeah, that and rebasing all of them. So they're not not yeah, they're not on desert bases anymore. Are they not? No. They're on snow bases now. Oh snow
0: bases. They they didn't enjoy their time in the dust storm.
2: I mean, no, so again, this is gonna sound like, oh you're rebasing them because they're on different bases. No. I'm rebasing them because it took me so long to make the bases that they were on because they were all cork and sand and airbrushing. And I was like, I'm not doing that for another 20 guardsmen. I'm not doing it. So instead, I took the less sensible option of tearing all the bases off, putting them on new bases, and putting snow on them so I could add more things. And so when I added more units to them, I didn't have to sit there because it was stopping me from painting other guardsmen models.
0: I yeah, I, yeah, I
2: don't sense. want that to be the case because i wasn't enjoying the bases i was really enjoying painting the guardsman just didn't enjoy bases
0: lovely well as for myself um as i said i've been sort of limited a little bit in what um hobby time i've had recently because i've been so busy doing all sorts of different kinds of uh, content creation and things because while it may have been a good couple of weeks now since I got the last episode of the podcast out. I have by, I have by no means not been busy. <laughs> so in that time, we've recorded, edited and put out sort of two to three battle reports on YouTube. Um, I've actually guest spotted on two different other podcasts. Um, which are yet to release, but I will let you all know in, in either the Facebook group or my Instagram or probably here on a future episode where and when um, those release really and where you can find them. I've also written a online article about the Crucible of War for Frontline Gaming.
3: Ooh.
0: And yeah, just been generally busy doing a lot of things. I've got another guest spot on a third um, of a podcast lined up. Um, I've been recording...
2: It's just, uh, it's just the high life for you, isn't it, Tony? That that you're,
0: you know, being an influencer. Come on, I'm not even at a thousand followers on Instagram. <laughs> I am by no means an influencer. I'm just a guy who likes this hobby and likes to talk about it. I, I will happily identify as being an advocate for narrative play. Like, I will be a huge, you know, advocate for anything that is non-competitive non-competitive 40k I'm happy to accept that (laughs) as a credential, but that's about it. Anyone who wants to listen to me can do, and great. (laughs) I'm happy to be there. But yeah, I'm sort of here, there, and everywhere at the moment. Um, So it's probably going to start hopefully calming down a little bit towards the end of next month and into Christmas, and then we'll sort of see where things pick up in the new year. But in amongst all that, I have managed to paint myself a a big head boss bunker for my death skulls. So that was a, a fun, I say little piece to work on, it was more, um, it, it felt like a, a little project because it was terrain, so it wasn't as intense, and it was just nice and fun to work on, although obviously being a terrain piece is relatively large in scale. But um, I got to paint the biggest death skull I've so far painted for my death skulls.
2: Uh, I think it, it, it looks great, mate, That you've really done a nice job on it, it's... Um... It definitely fits the theme of your army and also doesn't wouldn't look out of place just as normal terrain if you were to use it as just Yeah,
0: terrain. that um that's um. the best thing about it, that and the Mechboy workshop. Um like both of them not only are the actual fortification units I can use in a game with my Orcs, but also they are just terrain pieces that look brilliant on the table. So mix that in with the Octarius stuff and you know, Ork Town is uh, coming together slowly but surely. Um, My plan is I need to uh, base and paint up the barricade and scatter terrain sections that come with the mech boy workshop So that if I use it as its fortification, I technically have all the parts for it Um, And then I'm thinking in one of the sort of battle reports of the orcs, possibly in the new year I might try um, playing a game where I bring both the mech workshop and the bosshead bunker and actually have like dual fortifications for an orc list. Um, to
1: find somebody else with fortifications to have a fortification off. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly... Yeah,
2: you could even do some sort of um, uh, f-
1: uh, a, a stronghold assault yes, type thing. Uh, well, what's, the, what's the Space Marine drop bunker thing that's from Dawn of War, but it's not from Dawn of Hammer. War.
0: Hammerfall yes, the, ha- the Hammerfall drop bunker or something. Um if I, I could tell you. And isn't there a primary gun to it as well?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't actually drop out of the sky though, so it always confuses me.
0: It's the Hammerfall bunker that doesn't drop out of the sky, which is weird. Oh, but it does.
1: For any of, any of us that have played Dawn of War, yes it does.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, this this, this old thing right here. I've got
1: here. one built under a pile here that needs painting.
0: Yeah, I, I've got one on my commission pile.
2: I would
1: say though, Tony,
0: so,
2: that uh, showing
1: me a picture on the video while we're recording is probably not good for the listeners.
0: No, it's not. It's not great radio. <laughs> Well, not only is it now the uh, the hammerfall bunker that doesn't fall, it's now the hammerfall bunker I've shown you that's that right. wasn't shown.
3: Trink,
0: trink, trink, trink. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's what I've been up to. Um, and then right now, I'm I'm working on a, a big mech of shock attack gun because our uh, boss head bunker needs some more ranged firepower. Like I built this bunker, now I need something to go in it. So, big mech with a big gun seems about right. <laughs> um, it's also a unit I've wanted for years and years and years, but just never got around to having. I used to have um like a converted one back in fourth edition. But um since they released the metal kits for the Shock Attack gun in fifth ed, I've always wanted one. Never got around to it. And I now have the plastic kit one from sixth or seventh ed whenever it first came out. So it's a cracking model. Yeah. I have put it on a slightly bigger base though, because even though I think it was on a fifth 50 mil is slightly bigger than Terminator, but it still is too small. I think when the the mech and the gun sort of like spill over the edges of it in every direction because <laughs> it's such a big gun. Um, so I've I put it on maybe a 60 mil base of gears that I've got for it, but something just a little bigger. and it, it seems to fit right, so I'm happy with that. So yeah, uh, speaking of things we were very happy with. I think it's time that we move on to our latest, Tales from the Crucible. You are about to hear of another way to
1: play Warhammer 40,000 beyond that which is known to the ITC. A gameplay experience not only of victory points and match results, but of narrative. A tale of deadly battlefields, tactical challenges, and narrative scenarios. Welcome, dear listener, to the latest installment of Tales from the Crucible.
0: And we're back, guys. So, this is going to be our first Tales from the Crucible of War 2 because um, it was last month, uh, time of recording anyway, uh, when the Crucible War 2 took place and we had a great turnout, we had a bunch of people come down, have a great time, everybody went away with great stories and we're going to hear about a couple of the sort of games and how the day went generally from both uh, Dan and Dave uh, tonight. So funnily enough, as always, with these events at least, the pair of you travelled up together didn't you? So uh, tell us a little bit about how you're... Day started. I, I, I learned
1: early. a little bit further, further <laughs> away from the Dan, so even <laughs> yeah. earlier than that. <laughs> and, uh, but I more or less drive straight past your door, so it made sense for me to pick Dan up on the way and, and uh, come together. Um, which is great, the most difficult decision of the day was uh, early in the morning. Stopped halfway up the door, do we have a bacon sandwich? Do we have a sausage sandwich? So we just refused to decide. <laughs> we had a bacon and sausage sandwich right now. Um, So that was the difficult decision making of the day, and everything else was just fun after that. Um, but yeah, we got there together just about on time. I think uh, we were touch late last time, but uh, this time we were uh, just about on time, which was which was good. And um, we got there and started meeting people—people we met before, people we'd not met before. I don't think either of us met Chris before in person, had we? No. So that was awesome. no. And then then just settled down to play the game. So I know I uh, found my table fairly easily. But uh, do you want to talk about your first game first, Dan?
2: Uh, yeah, I played Mr. Sharp, I believe is that's the the uh, I believe so in my head. Uh, an Eldar yeah. with, with his yeah, wonderfully yeah. painted Eldar, and it was very a, pretty. And he's, he's uh, he had
0: the young king army.
2: Yeah, well, he had basically eleven year old Dan's m- army that I want to have eventually because it is just all individual Aspect Warrior units, and it was just really really nice um, to see because it was really themed. I took. Um, my space wolves with a, a slight twist uh, my twist was which Tony you were very pleased about because uh, I like to take silly armies to these things I took the execution force the assassin execution force which was a hoot and did very little assassinating I'm going to be <laughs> honest it was <laughs> um, we played funnily enough the first mission um I can only remember because it it was a long time ago that you had the the, um the off the table thing oh
0: my brain is so you play the first mission of the day for you was capture the infiltrator that was it so this was a a mission where both players were deploying in like dawn of war deployments so long table edges there were six
1: objective markers yes. I believe it's, yeah six objective markers. Had
0: yeah hidden um,
1: markers as well wasn't it yeah yeah so there
0: were six objective markers all of which I believe were set up by the defender yeah correct yep yeah um but after they've been set up, the defender rolled two dice secretly um, and those two numbers corresponded to whichever relevant objective markers. And the idea was that there were some hidden um, like operatives hiding out at those particular two objective markers. So, um, as the attacker would play through the mission, um, if they reached an objective marker, they would uncover whether or not it was a like a decoy or an empty objective marker, or whether it was a location with an actual um, hidden operative. And if it wasn't, it got removed. So, You'll be narrowing down the search, trying to work out which two objective markers were the actual, like, active objective markers.
2: I mean, I mean, now, you say narrow down, Tony, <laughs> I, I I didn't find a secret. No, I found one. I found one.
0: Uh, yeah, or so many. in this instance, uh, you were the attacker with the Space Wolves and yep. the four assassins, and the Eldar were the defenders, and um, Sharpie knew which two of the objective markers were the ones he needed to defend and make sure he held by the end of the game um and the theater of war that you played for this this was my
2: favorite theater of war for the whole <laughs> tournament i loved it
0: so this was the shadow war theater yes. of war so this essentially was taking the shadow missions sort of campaign mechanic from the octarius war yeah cuz
2: this threw me when i read it the first time cuz it's not technically a theater of war it's uh no
0: so it's something that i've created in that i've taken a uh, like an expansionist rule set of special rules that uh, augment a game um which can just be layered on as an extra layer on top of whatever it is you're doing and all that sort of fits the mechanical descriptors of a theater of war it's just that it's more about the the state of the conflict that's happening as opposed to specifically the battlefield you're fighting on. So... so
2: I I would say from someone like, uh, as in not having been before to to the event, I wasn't expecting that. And it was a nice twist because I, I was expecting just to sort of like take some mortal wounds at some point somewhere. Yes. And it was a rip. Re- Cause I really liked uh, having uh, never really played the Octarius well, um, I played the campaign, but we never played the, the uh, secret missions or the behind enemy lines missions. And I always wanted to do it because it's kind of like a mini game. Um, yeah. So I did it and it was like, yeah, this is going to be great. And I didn't find anything. It was really sad. <laughs> I was really disappointed. It was like
0: the coolest secondary mission. It was like, I oh, don't know, I didn't find anything. You found a sock. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this was where um, you could assign basically a infantry unit that was either troops or elites and you could put them into um, strategic reserves for free. And that unit was attempting to complete a shadow mission. So um, at the end of battle round two, you'd roll a dice based on which one you picked and we're applying some modifiers based on the unit that you chose to send on the mission. And if you succeeded on the dice roll, they would complete their mission and they would then have a like debuffing effect on the opponent's command points in one way or another depending on which mission you chose to undertake um, and then that unit would come on from reserves to the table and roll for casualties like did um come out of an exploding vehicle or something like that because it represents some casualties that unit might have encountered uh, suffered during its shadow mission
2: it was it was and... really good i mean um the eldar um managed to complete their mission but it no that was the disappointing thing um actually it was the luck element not being more um usually go oh the luck got in the way there wasn't enough luck we never rolled anything of so it never affected anything and i was a bit disappointed it
0: didn't affect anything because it would have been quite cool um but that just came down to like bad rolling cool. and, yeah, yeah by both of you as it was yeah because it <laughs> so. was
2: it was really uh fun um I'm trying to think of highlights in the game. Uh, The Calidus assassin turning up behind the Farseer, going, woo, and then failing a charge from four inches away. That was quite (laughs) fun. Um, So she died. Um, The Avatar basically beating up all my space walls, which, again, quite fun. Um, As you can tell, I lost that game. but it was it was awesome the mission was really cool it was it was a good start uh, it was a good start to the to the um to, to the the day
0: and uh, well, if, it, if it makes you feel any better uh sharpie Zelda went on to perform quite well in their following games as well so i think that was almost testament to the format in the fact that he brought a court of the young king so like avatar and just all different aspect shrines. and Yeah, it was really, really well cool. It me. was so thematic. The army was just so themed. It was brilliant. I mean, the advantage of bringing all the different aspect shrines is he basically had, like, a toolbox of units, so he almost had something every game that was really suited to doing whatever the particular mission or, like, theatre of war was or whatever. So it, it played really well into his favour that way. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you really enjoyed the sort of, like, side mission that was the the shadow missions even if the dice ended up meaning that you didn't roll up anything sort of significantly influential but you could have done. Yeah Um, it was it was it was is the thing that plays in your mind while you're playing the game.
2: It was by far the best side um environment I know it wasn't environmental but it was it kinda was. It was by far the best environment because it didn't follow a standard. You're gonna take some mortal wounds at some point.
0: Yeah, it's not always necessarily just about taking injuries from things Mm. harming you. There were a few different sort of um, environments that would play off a slightly different mechanic. And part of that was because I had this opportunity, having done the event the first time, I knew how I could play into it more and play around with the mechanics a bit more. So looking for resources like the Shadow Missions from Octarius, I was like, this is great. This is a, a layer of you know mission augment that I can put in, and it can behave the way I want it to, like a war. And there were there were a couple where um, similar things were done like that. And I swear, one of these days, I will get the dog fighting rules in <laughs> 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 from uh, uh, Death from Above Fall, Skies of Death, whatever it was called, because that's another favorite like augment to the game system that I've always enjoyed. <laughs> so yeah, so that was your game one. Then, Dave, yeah, you know. <laughs> your, your game one was a, an interesting story from the day. And, let's, uh... let's
1: start with the upsides. I, I did try to get the award for the earliest submitted army by bringing exactly the same army list I bought to uh, Crusade 1, right?
0: <laughs> well, if there's any consolation, you did also get the early submitted match result.
1: that's <laughs> true.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's not because I won, listeners. Uh, no, it was an interesting setup. It was it was sort of a, a stockade in the middle of a ruined imperial city. Uh, I took the defender role and set up in the middle with my Rainbow Warriors ready to defend against all comers. Those all comers were James March's Tyranids, Um and they were yeah really nicely painted, lovely looking force. And it's a bit of a classic Space Marines versus Turnids in a sort of last stand formation. And I think last stand formation is probably the white way to describe it, because as the attacker, he, he got the drop and uh, got the roll to start, take the first turn, and just the way things were set up, I was, uh, by the end of his first turn, before I'd done anything, I was in close combat across the board, uh, with everything, uh, except for my uh, warlord, who thought, sod it, <laughs> why, why don't I uh, heroically intervene, because I'm within three inches of something. So I got, I got zero range shots off, apart from one lot of Overwatch, because I thought, well, this is going to happen. I might as well just try and use it, and that, that didn't really help, of course. and Yes, uh, turn one turned into me being killed a lot in close combat. Turn two turned into me being mostly killed even more, including my reserves that came on. <laughs> and So at the start of turn three, which was about 20 minutes into the game, um, I was—I had one sergeant left uh, from my assault squad who was hand-to-hand combat with his—I can't remember his tyrant warlord or, or some, whatever his warlord was—a big, big beasty monsters. I'm not very strong on the names of different turnip monsters. Uh, but the—that's the, when the environmental effects came in. So they started turn three. One of the things that was happening is some of the buildings could be on fire, and there was also orbital bombardment happening. And uh, we rolled to the orbital bombardment, and basically both the Warlord and the Space Marine Sergeant died before the start of Turn 3, <laughs> technically, uh, due to all bombardment hitting that one building that they're in and wiping out my remaining Space Marine at the end of the game. So, uh, it was very fast. It was one of those games that was like, you, you could... Some people would get upset by it. I wasn't upset by it at all. It was kind of fun. If I'd had three games like that all day, which I didn't, I'd have been a bit miffed. Uh, but it was properly narrative. It was properly fun. Uh, yeah, uh, it wasn't quite a balance for the uh, armies that we had on there in the way that they came in and uh, I think we should do some tweaking on that in the future uh, to try and improve things for other people but uh, really really there was a really strong narrative in there uh, that I really loved and yeah, of course Space Marines occasionally get wiped out to the last man fighting to save their, their mates who were trying to escape the planet and um, that's that's the way I saw it, It's great
0: yeah and it's it's a testament to you know your attitude towards the game and the the spirit of the event that even when you know the nature of that particular game was ultimately very one sided and I do apologize for this sort of convergence of things that happened for that to actually come about because uh, like for one thing, so James was our ringer, so he was the one sort of filling out when we had a odd number of players, and therefore I wasn't really knowing. Placed against you. So I've mentioned before how, like, I pair off all the armies in the matchups where possible. And on the day, it turned out that your opponent for round one was the person who didn't make it. So therefore, you weren't playing against the army I expected you to play against, and instead, you played playing against a sort of rather monstrous at list. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, which, uh, which, yeah, you know, it does happen. And yeah, um, as that scenario was devised. It was just a roll off the first turn, mm-hmm. and I think the core remedy that I would apply to that in future is making the defender go first. Yeah, I think because that. it gives you that opportunity to maybe get some volleys off, set up defences, maybe spread out, and just help some you know um, some uh, sort of like what's the word? Not shielding units. I forget what they're called. What the people uh, screening, them. Units. screening units, screening units—that's the word. Yeah, uh, and so on. So the idea behind that mission was that yeah the defender starts in the center of the table and there's a single objective marker which starts at the center of the table but the players roll off each turn and the winner can move the marker 2d6 inches yeah so it's sort of like moving around yeah Yeah, because the the needs are on top of you that quickly but the idea is that the sort of defender has the only objective on the table under their control to start the game and therefore that gives them in theory a commanding position um but the marker will move randomly a little bit and the players have some sway over where it goes
1: it did it, so bit... move randomly quite significantly so uh, in the first turn it moved from the center of the board right to the edge of one of the barricades in between a fight across a barricade and then in the second turn it moved right into the back line uh, of his troops um, so it just moved completely away but like I said, it was kind
0: of irrelevant. So Yeah, and and the idea is that because the def- because the attacker is deployed on all four corners of the table around you, wherever the objective goes, you're in theory only moving towards a quarter of that opponent's army. Oh, yeah. And sort of like... I know obviously units are going to converge, but the idea is, in theory, you're not going to be statically charged by everything. But <laughs> these particular turinids did do that. <laughs> and yeah. it was a... A little bit of an overwhelming force i think in this particular instance so um it's one that we'll be getting a slight tweak in future but i'm also pleased to say that um we did play that mission as it was in rounds two and three and um round two we had knights versus chaos knights okay <laughs> and uh and the main contributing factor there was um a series of ex- uh, chain explosions that happened that tended to just gut um, yeah, one of the players armies was really the defending cool.
1: player it happened to pack in, because it was only a 12 inch deployment in the center wasn't it so did they have to pack him really really tight
0: um i mean not too badly i mean in, as a knight i think as a knight army i think he had two like mid-weight class knights and four armages <laughs> so he, he fit his army and you know easily enough but i think there was an i think there was a triple explosion at one point um <laughs> Which, when it's three nights going up, um, that, 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 that was the thing that gutted his forces that game. was more the, the chain explosions than anything. Um, but game three on that table was the defender was an orc army with a stomper. Okay, nice. Um, and um, he actually won that game. Uh, the stomper broke out, as it were, um, against the space marines that were assaulting the position. And in the end, the Orcs actually won that game. So I was quite pleased that by the end of the day, it hadn't just been a whitewash for the attacker all three games. Yeah. Like, in one of the games, the Defender did win. And won you know, quite handily in the end. So, um, I, I think... Were there any it, missions, was, see. Tony? Were there any missions where
2: it was clearly the attacker won every single time or the Defender won every single time? Or was it quite mixed?
0: Um... I think it was relatively mixed. I don't think there was anything that stood out. I think this particular mission with Dave, it was apparent that if the attacker goes first, that seemed to be more impactful than the defender going first. But I don't think that necessarily just meant that they always won by going first sort of thing. Right, yeah. Um, But no, generally, I I don't think there was any... Obvious advantage to any one of the games where the the attacker or whoever went first won every time. Um, I mean, what is nice is that about fifty percent of the games have a predetermined first turn anyway. Um, so that's just baked into the scenario. Then. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that was your both your game ones. Yep. Um, so Dan, what was your game two? So I played James
2: the Tyranid army that that, uh... <laughs> yeah. that,
1: that just ate Dave's rainbow. Let's just say they were. They
2: wanted some um, appetizers, and uh, I set in my head they did, that I was they, like,
0: all, they wanted a doggy bag. Didn't some, they? Yeah,
2: I mean, <laughs> after all that color,
1: they wanted something a little more grim.
2: I mean, to be honest, I was looking at the army going, "Nope, this is not going to end well." So I set my target. My actual, uh, you, you're not aware of this, Tony, but I actually set my own narrative <laughs> objective for that mission, which was to headshot one of his bugs, and I did, and it was awesome. And the vindicator shot his. What was it? Uh, Malathrope? No, Neurothrope. Yeah, Neurothrope. And it went pop, and his brain went like a melon, and it was exciting. And then I lost, but it was great, because it was the um, mission where you had to escape on two lifts.
3: Um,
2: Again, not the best mission to go up against a big bug list, where you have to go towards them instead of defending, but it was cracking, and the army he had was lovely. Um uh because James does his own base he sculpts his own bases, I believe. Um, and they're very good. because uh, they they sell them at the March War place. But yeah, he it was um a case of uh running forward, um watching um my space wolves get eaten, and then actually watching the frustration. What I found was I'm just learning things about the games, not necessarily things you want me to learn, Tony. But I am learning things on how upset people get when you use a Clexus assassin because they can't kill it. It's really <laughs> funny.
0: Yeah, they are full of assassins. It's 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 useless. It didn't
2: do anything. It just stood there, just causing annoyance. <laughs> um, and
0: then he ate it because. So, yeah, so, um, and did you get to the point in that mission where the flood came through or not? I
2: can't. Remember. Uh, no, because you <laughs> my army by the time it come. I think we did in the last turn. We played out the last turn, even though my army had disappeared. Um, and yeah, he, it came in the very last turn. But, um, the flood was quite cool. I did enjoy the, the, the flood aspect of it. Um, but I quite like that mission, um, because it's very sort of like, Uh, Quick, got to get off the table, um, secure the landing zone, get off the table. It's very sort of similar to our YouTube uh, game in that respect. It's sort of like very, there's a reason for taking ground. A lot of 40k games don't have a reason for holding an objective. It's just a little marker in the center. There's no reason. Whereas when you've got whacking great big lifts, that you, you, on the table and they were actually on the table it's not like they were just a marker it's these huge gantries and you're sort of going right i need to take this and hold it and actually it's there's a purpose that's what i find a lot of 40k games actually lack is the purpose of um purposeful objectives and not just putting a marker
0: down for the sake of putting a marker down yeah that's one of the things that i love the most about playing that particular mission at that particular venue. Is the fact that they have these um, terrain pieces that look great as these tall towers that look like the sort of thing that you would be using to extract to orbit. And like you say, the whole actually having a a tangible thing that you're trying to fight over or control is so much more immersive than just here's a 40 millimeter marker that represents nothing, but is important for some reason.
2: (laughs) Yep and we'll get to the reason why that was cool in the third game in a moment
0: (laughs) yeah so um, orbital extraction, great fun, I enjoy watching that game whenever it's played Uh, we had, um, again really positive feedback from that mission in both the first Bruce of the World War and the second Um, lots of fun with that one so Dave, what was your second game like?
1: My second mission was on the same table as Dan's first mission Uh, Uh, that's right that was the, uh, so I was playing an orc army, uh, Williams Orc Army, which is like Vietnam style orcs. So same thing, capture the infiltrators, that off table thing, which did kind of work for us. We both uh, we both got it when we read it down, I'm afraid. And uh, <laughs> so we deployed um, high power level elite units, which had the maximum bonuses for, for trying to achieve it. And within two or three turns, I don't, don't remember clearly, we both uh, had that go off. And we had the, the effect of well, ev- both warlord stratagems were then costing one extra command point each uh, to have them go off, uh, which was uh, an interesting thing. I think that was supposed to deter me. I, I tend to burn through command points anyway, <laughs> so it just kind of didn't put me off. I just kept spending, just ran out quickly. <laughs>
0: well i mean yeah i was gonna say it is it, doing more harm if it deters you from simply spend, spending them at all yeah <laughs> I mean, assume that you're still going to spend them and go through them it's just that you will uh, you'll go through them quicker as a result and maybe reconsider certain strategies or adventurous stratagems that you might not Ad- otherwise ones. use Adventurous. what's an adventurous stratagem one that's... Advantageous. That's the word I was looking for. Advantageous. But yeah, I forget who was the defender in that one. Was that you?
1: Is the defender the person that you? knows where the which one's which? Yes. In that case, I was the defender. Um, yes. So yes, I knew which one was which. Uh, and the way it played out, actually, it was like I just put them in order across the table: one, two, three, four, five, six. Because it doesn't matter until you roll the dice and yeah. uh, I rolled a one and a two, so they, they were both the ones on the left-hand side, uh, from my perspective. So I, uh, I did the classic feint and deployed two-thirds of my forces to the right-hand side of the table. Uh, <laughs> my slightly higher, faster manoeuvring ones, apart from my jump infantry, which were the ones in reserve anyway. Um, so they were going to come back on in, in a resort place, which they did, uh, and that kind of worked. Um, I, I did decoy them, he only found which two were the real ones by opening up the other four first <laughs> uh, at which point he realized nice. he got a quite a substantial amount of his force on the wrong side of the table and he was rushing to try and bring them up which gave me plenty of opportunities to do the shooting that i, I had not done in the, the previous game and um, he just slightly overwhelmed me i'm not such a great general and um, he got to the point where he was able to reveal he revealed one of them, and I think he may have pushed me to the point where he's actually in possession of both, but it meant he won the game by five points. It was really close. It could have gone either way at the end, uh, but he ended up winning by five uh, victory points, which was awesome. Uh, it was, you know, well-deserved game, close match, and, uh, and a lot of fun, so it sounds like it turned out slightly different than Dan's experience with the Eldar, but uh, no less fun for all.
0: I mean, what I like to hear about that is, it sounds like all the components of the game played out the way that you would hope they would. I would think so. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah your knowledge of where the two active objectives were versus the four inactive ones, it were, really played into how the units moved about on the table. Yeah, definitely. You both, yeah, you both got to deploy significant units into the shadow missions, and they both achieved their objectives throughout the game before then joining the fight themselves and it came down to a really close result.
1: One of the weird things is the return from the shadow missions though is they could only walk on the table. Uh, yes. Which was a little bit odd since I would got jump infantry doing that.
0: <laughs> uh, well so I suppose the idea is is because if it's a unit like say Terminators or uh, Submarines or whatever which would either be teleporting to a location or dropping from a Thunderhawk. You know. What they've done is they've done that in order to insert themselves wherever their crucial mission was. Like and they've done that there and then now fox logging as it were, their way to the battlefield. Um so I imagine if anything, the jump pack guys, while they've they've not deep struck in the middle of the table, they've probably been flying their way, you know, over from wherever they've been like off screen, yes, to we, uh, to get we, there as quickly as possible, we're
1: nearly at the enemy, lads, quick, set down on the ground, don't use your jump backs anymore
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe um, I'm, I'm
1: sure there's a narrative you can build out of like that, and I'm not complaining. It just it just was one of the things that felt oh, I mean,
0: it's definitely interesting, and it that in itself is almost like a deliberate ploy of it because if you choose to send terminators, say, to go complete that mission then whilst they are going to be a very good choice for the mission because they're an elite unit and get the uh the dice roll bonuses that entails you are forfeiting their ability to deep strike because they're they're doing something else critically important and the payoff is they're going to be walking on from a table edge when they do get involved but they'll have done in theory their important job first by that point yeah might make the tea <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um I'm glad that went well and uh, it sounds like the mission played out the way that I would hope it would do um and yeah sounds like it was a, a really good yeah, game It was a good
1: mission absolutely good play as well.
0: So Dan tell us about your third game of the, the game.
2: best mission of the game, we uh, of the day by hands down far actually I couldn't even tell you the mission. I just loved the table. The table was amazing. In fact, I can tell you the mission because I just remembered it. Um, It it was basically like a last stand where I had to put my, uh, I was the defender. I had to put my a third of my troops on the table and then two thirds off in reserves. This table was a massive smashed up multi-story cathedral with levels and jump bits and all sorts of stuff. And it was very cinematic and it looked amazing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah I spent the most time setting that table up more so than any of the others it was like the gorgeous the I
2: played I, I played against the unrelenting brush himself um, and we just proceeded to knock several bells out of each other um, there were gantry walkways cut off points bottlenecks um, you name it it was all over the place it was great because it, yes, like, so... it, it wasn't like it wasn't like you know how certain games of forty K are. You you get you get this sort of like oh battle line, but these actual this actually felt more like a sci-fi game, like a science fiction war game rather than two battle lines fighting each other. It was much more. There were gantries where you could stick models to actually act as um, block blocking units. Um, there was. Uh, orcs climbing across the top of the crane. My so assassin ran across the gantry and just proceeded to mow its way through a load of commandos or boys. Um, dreadnoughts were coming towards a rescue, but then they got cut up by, you can tell that it was one of those games that had a lot of um, cinematic moments. Um, and I think the table was the, basically the reason for that. The mission was good. The mission was really narrative, but I think the table just ramped that up to 11.
0: Yeah, it, it did. And again, that was all by design. So the mission in question was Hold Your Gains, which is from the original Vigilus um, books. I think it was Vigilus Defiant uh, for that one. And yeah, basically, the defender starts with a third of their force in the centre of the table. And the other two thirds are in reserves, going to be coming on from long table edges. The attacker deploys in both short table edges and are going to converge on the, um, the defender in the center. And the only like uh, victory condition is at the end of the game, whichever player has the most combined power level in units within 12 inches of the center of the table wins because it's all about holding this position and basically, you know, your forces are attempting to claim it. Um, so the defender is trying to hold out long enough so the reserves can come along and help them keep hold of it, hence hold your gains, and the attacker is trying to reclaim it because it's ground that's been recently taken from them. Um, but the theater of war that you played was another example of one of these ones which it wasn't something that was just dealing mortal wounds. This was the city fight theater of war and it was taking the sort of, again, mission augmentation mechanics from... Um, the cities of death stuff and having that as your environment. So, because you were playing city fight, you were playing with a selection of extra stratagems that you could use, and you were playing with height advantage effects. Um, so any unit that was making a ranged attack that was on a level higher than a target got an extra point of AP on its ranged attacks because it got that height advantage. Um, you Units that moved on the ground level could move faster because they were considered to be moving on streets and roads. It's like, you know, stable floor um, and everything. Um, And you had stratagems that would allow, say, like, um, grapnel launches as a stratagem that would let any unit of infantry ignore vertical distance for their movement for the turn. Yeah, that was the one we used the most, actually, I think, from memory. Yeah, I can totally believe you would do because you can have units leap up and down multiple stories of buildings... And this table was designed for playing with these city fight rules. So, I think there was a total of about five levels of height. Six um, if you include
2: could... the crane, I think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which we did, because crane. he was crawling his
2: orcs across the top of the crane. He's like, do you mind? I'm like, no, it looks amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Chris was also using like the jump, wasn't he, to like, teleport orcs around. But in, yeah. as opposed to the way you normally see it used to just send them up the field and charge... He was, like, teleporting them from the ground level to, like, the top of the crane (laughs) and stuff like that, and it looked More just
2: because it was amusing, really.
0: (laughs) Um... Um, And, yeah, so the idea was that while 12 inches of the centre is the goal, you've also got multiple stories that are all clusters within 12 inches of the centre, so you've got these multiple places you can uh, um, sort of hold out to try and achieve that. And as you were saying, because... You've got things like gantries and walkways between all the different floors of these ruined buildings and towers. It really creates choke points, um and it's not often that you know thirty orc boys can only get five of them into combat. (laughs) That made a huge
2: difference. That made a massive difference as well. That, like tactically, it's very rare in a game of forty k where you go right, okay i'm going to put these models here just because i know that you're only going to be able to get a certain amount in
0: yeah um, you you because... could only get say two free two out of three of your blade guard fighting but that's fine yeah. because he's only getting five out of 30 odd boys yes exactly back.
1: what i had in my game when it comes to game three
0: <laughs> yeah and you know having those new tactical options available to both players and then also like the tactical challenge for chris of like how he's going to overcome that and how he's going to swarm you you know is the sort of unique challenges that the Crucible War can present. Um, and, like you said, create these cinematic moments. And um, the following, uh, no, the previous round, in round two, um, the players that had been playing on that table beforehand were basically two Jump Pack-based Space Marine armies. <laughs> so it was, like, mostly Raptor's Nightlord army, and nice. then mostly Jump Pack... Blood Angel Army. And they had a blast when they played their game because they had jump pack units leaping from building to building and gantry to gantry and having these sort of like, you know, almost aerial combats going on between units. It's stuff you just don't get to see in a
2: standard game.
0: Yeah. And the reason why it all comes about is again because of this concept where the Crucible of War is sort of planned more in advance and because the pairings are planned in advance in order to create interesting games not only have I been able to pick those two armies to have you know, a really engaging cinematic game but also the table when setting it up I know which armies are going to be playing on it so when I built that table when I planned it out I didn't have to make space potentially for land raiders or imperial mm. knights or greater demons to be able to manoeuvre around on it because I knew there weren't going to be any of those units playing on that table throughout the day. And instead, I knew that so long as I had space for Dreadnoughts to walk through and, you know, Terminators to charge down a gantry, then it was going to be absolutely fine for the armies involved. And if anything, it was going to make it more cinematic and more memorable and more unique than a typical game of 40k for those players and it just looked really cool (laughs) it did it looked really
2: cool it was it was like playing there are very few games that stick out in my mind from my aeons past the 40k but that one will just because it was very very sort of it was like being in a black library novel
0: great i think that's the best sort of you know thing i can hope for that's the sort of experience i want players to have where possible and well, maybe I can't achieve that you know, for all three games in a day for any individual. As long as everybody gets one you know, in their day, then I think that is modern, um commendable. Definitely. So, Dave, tell us about your last game of the day.
1: Yeah, my last time, uh, was game was again against orcs. Different kind of orcs. Foot-slogging orcs with Gaz leading them. Some huge, two at least two mobs of 30 orc boys. And uh, there were some killer cans in there. And some other horrible things, <laughs> as orcs tend to bring. Um, and the mission was it was a jungle scenario, or jungle terrain with plenty of lush trees and um, some little narrow defiles of rocks on either side. Although the middle of the board was quite open. And the uh, the war zone was an odd force field type thing. Uh, we were playing long yeah. edge to long edge uh, with the armies, just in a pretty standard side deployment. Uh, but the, the, we rolled for where that was and it actually came down the middle of the table from the middle of one long edge to the middle of the other, so I think if it had gone the other way it would have been a very different game. Uh, what that force field did made it hard to target and shoot uh, through, um, so it prevented a little bit of crossfire sideways, but actually we had exactly the opposite kind of game to what Dan, Dan described. Sometimes your games are you line up your, your arms against each other and you charge and shoot towards each other and that's what this game was like because the the actual objectives were five objectives down the middle and as you took control of them you could move them towards or away from your enemy by six inches and they were like three positions uh, that each one could be in They start in the middle they could come closer towards me or closer towards him uh, and you score different numbers of victory points depending on where they are and uh, how much how much you can control them um, It was always going to be tough against Gasgall because he can only take three once a turn if we all remember and uh, four I think four no it might be three three. it it doesn't matter you just have to keep on so so I was able to set up some screening units for my devastators and between the the last cannons and heavy bolters they they managed to just about keep three I think the victory I did get in that game although I did overall lose (laughs) the victory I did get in that game was uh, I did manage to kill Gaz because I just kept pinging away at him and slowing him down but those huge mobs of orcs, I just, and because he was on foot and I had to hold my ground and shoot at him, he gained the objective in the middle, he started scoring the victory points, and I just couldn't keep up with it. I didn't manage to run him into the narrow defiles. I had uh, at one point uh, my single on foot librarian just holding back a mob of 30 orcs, just killing two or three a turn. <laughs> um, just being surrounded. You know, he'd, if he stayed there for 20 turns, it'd have cleared them all off, but you didn't have 20 turns in a game. <laughs> So, in that sense, it was thematic in exactly what Dan just described it. was like being inside a white light you know, uh, facing the swarm of orcs. Uh, but uh, a bit of a pick, we didn't bring all victory points. But it was fun, finally managing to kill Gaz in a game, dealing with all those orcs, and just orcs versus marines. I love it. Two games of orcs versus marines, and it's fantastic. And yeah, the guy who was playing Anthony was a great player, it was fun to play against, and lovely board models we're playing against so again great as always
0: yeah that's another one which it's funny how that sort of takes the idea of grinding battle lines that you sort of typically get in a game of 40k and ramps it up it like leans into that um gimmick because yeah it's the the sort of like tug of war scenario with the five objectives down the center yep. between the armies and you really try to like, not just hold them, but hold them so that you can then, like, push that front line forwards yeah. towards I, the enemy.
1: I think the only way it would have been even slightly better is if we'd both had close combat armies, or we both had more shooting armies where you had to then move them. Uh, if that 2-in-it army of many two, had been playing against the old player, they'd have been charging in the middle and slaughtering each other and trying to get and grab those objectives, and that would have been awesome. But, you know, that was my army list, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say the... The reverse of that then is that they would have had absolutely no influence from the um, the veil effect then, no, um, because no. that only affects range attacks. So
1: he had some shooting on his killer clans that he deployed on his right flank a long way away from that veil, so they didn't have to shoot through it. And um, yeah, most of his his, his mobs were just, or uh, I think they got uh, uh, bolt pistols and, and sluggers because they were slugger boys, but um, yeah, didn't really matter. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's funny how um in the um the latest battle report, um I play with my orcs versus Chris's space wolves and we had a similar sort of instance where the theatre of war we were using for that, um the objective markers have an effect well they've got like two sides of effects. One which um revolves around units completing advanced moves and charges near the objective markers and then another one which is a sort of like shielding effect against ranged attacks. So these markers have um, like one set of rules that affect ranged combat and one set of rules that affect combat. Yeah. Or close engagements anyway. And because we were playing Space Wolves versus Orcs, predictably the main thing that came into play was the more close quarter orientated rules effects and the ranged effect didn't really come into play for us because of the armies we were using um, and it was it was definitely still influential and like see if you go uh, watch that like you'll see that come into play and but it's interesting how we do comments at the end that were saying if we had more ranged combat armies we would certainly have seen the effects of the shield generators more than we did um so it's funny how similar thing for you in this scenario the veiled effects range stuff wasn't as influential
1: because of the armies involved yeah we just had such wide lines either side we always had targets
0: <laughs> yeah um i mean i don't know if the morale thing came up much for e review because this was the one where the sort of like dread aura on the objective markers would make
1: units fail morale more often yeah in all honestly i think we forgot about that effect <laughs> both of us so
3: yeah,
0: that, that can be the case, you yep. know, sometimes when you know, you've know you got enough going on and you're just having fun, and that's not a problem. Like, you know, if it's it doesn't uh, take away from the experience, then it's not a problem to. Um, yeah, I don't, skip I don't over remember
1: Mao coming up either way, particularly much. It doesn't, Mao doesn't come in for a while on big mobs of, of 30 orcs. When I was taking out his larger True. things, I tended to take them out atomically, which didn't trigger uh, morale anyway. Uh, my guys are a little bit more invulnerable to it because I combated squad, because, you know, it's whatever it is, 52 firstborn infantry and five primaries <laughs> um, so they because they're all combat squatted up as well into fives even even when morale can affect it wasn't really triggering anyway fair enough but it still sounds like you had a good fun game no, right? no, it was awesome absolutely, absolutely. Um,
0: so then after after that that was you know, the end of the games for the day and um, we sort of had our little wrap up at the end of the day where we had our awards and I think it's fair to say there were a few surprised um, faces this time because we um, varied up the uh, accolades that we were handing out. And again, okay, we didn't didn't do best general; it's just not a thing we do at the Crucible of War. But we did do various different things, including um, our Champions of the Warlord jewels. So we did have some some Warlord jewels happening um, throughout the rounds. We had, had one person win the death race for winning the scenario on the rolling terrain. And uh, we had our first award for Best Display Board as well, which is funny because um, it was Darren who won that this time, and it was Darren who won the Best Painted last time, so I don't think he was expecting to come away with anything this time, and instead he came away with Best Army uh, Display Board, and uh, that was a, a nice surprise for him. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've, sort of at the end of it all then, uh, you've both been to two Crucible awards now, and um, and you've got to have sort of seen, you know, what it was like firsthand when everybody was there as first-timers the first time around. And you've had a chance to see it as both returning players yourself and being able to see some familiar faces and some people who had been before as well, and it's sort of their second time. How would you say it's um, they've both been as experiences now?
2: I would say that this second one seemed to run smoother. And that's not a criticism yeah. on you, Tony. It's just because yeah, we all knew what. Yeah, yeah, I hate <laughs> yeah. it. I thought it was rubbish. Never want to go again. Um, but I think it's because everyone, not just you, but everybody knew what they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, yeah. in the first one, nobody really knew what they were expecting. So everyone was kind of like, do we do this, this, this? So because there was a lot of people who knew what they were expecting. But on top of that, the people who were new and it was their first time down there, um, all the people who had been before was like, "Yep, come over here. We'll show you what to do." Boop So there were people who had done it before were helping out the people who hadn't done it before, which sped everything up, which was lovely and friendly as well. So, yeah, that would be my takeaway: is it, it ran very smoothly, um, and 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 it was enjoyable. Everyone sort of there was there, and there's no that guy there either there's no (laughs) there's nobody there trying to be uh mr look at me aren't i great i've got like six thousand whatever the latest thing is and whatever matter that is but you know what i mean it it, it's everyone sort of has got their theme they've bought this ridiculous list or they've bought their favorite army from when they were wanted when they were 11 or they, uh, like Dave, couldn't be bothered and just bought the same armies last time. Um... Well, I mean, there's a really good
1: example of that, that behaviour there, is that um, I did have a properly-based 40mm Terminator warlord to use, but I preferred to use my old space old metal Baymar Warrior Captain, uh, which is armed the same, but he's on a 25mm base because I bought him in 1989, right? Um, and I check with every opponent, do you mind if I use the old one instead? He's on a smaller base, and everyone went, no, I'm not bothered it's fine. You're playing the army you want to play. And that's uh, that was really... Tough. You can't, just can't imagine that at a competitive tournament. They'd, they'd, they'd suspect you're modelling for some advantage in some way, which you can't figure out when you've got a smaller base why that would be. But there you go.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe I'm just not so good at yeah. maxing stuff.
0: Um, well, you're definitely good at, at minning the yeah. base size. No, just old. <laughs> yeah. Just old. Uh, just, just um... But yeah, I completely agree with you, Dan. I, I do feel this, um, it ran so much smoother than last time. And I do think that is for the main reasons that you mentioned there, that both, you know, not only is it not my first time running any 40k event, let alone the Crucible of War, but it was also then you know, the second time for me doing it. So I've done it before. I've got a sense of what I'm expecting. Even like the venue owners obviously hosted it before then, so they know the general gist of what I'm aiming for. Um, I also managed to get down the day before this time, so I I had a good five, six hours the day before setting the tables up, which wasn't something then that had to be done on the day, like last time, you know. Um, I wasn't running around like a headless chicken half an hour before we (laughs) were starting uh, printing out mission details and putting markers on tables. Um, And yeah, I think the fact that everybody the first time around didn't really know what they were about to be doing you know they weren't they, really sure what to expect and should, I like to think they all hoped they were going to have a good time they just didn't know in what form that was going to take so knowing what the experience was like the first time around I think that contributed to a, a really nice relaxed atmosphere this time around um, like even more so than it was the first time
1: yeah I think even in a, fact a little bit around just the, the, the stuff around the edges like there was a whole bunch of people there that had been to the venue before the second time so they knew what to do for lunch
0: yes yeah it's funny how um <laughs> this must be a pretty rare experience for an event organizer but um because obviously i obviously had all the um rounds planned in advance i had all the pairings printed out in advance so i just, i had them up on like um you know like a, a print um like a pairings board um, on the wall, so people could go see what table they're going to be playing on and who they're going to be playing next. Um, I had that up at, after the end of the first round when we all went out for lunch. So we all had an hour for lunch, and funnily enough, the three of us went sort of together for food, and we ended up running behind by about five minutes. So I was expecting to walk back into the venue um, like you know five minutes after the the second round was supposed to be starting expecting everyone to be milling around waiting for me to sort of officially say to start the round you know and actually i walked in and found that everybody already at the table was starting to play their games yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the pairings had already been up people are already going to look to see what table they were going to be playing on and the mission details were already there on the table for them so people were just getting on with it so i walked in and i'm just like oh everybody's already on with what they need to be doing great
2: You've just developed the world's first AI tournament. <laughs> Sorry, narrative event. Sorry, my brain slipped out then for a minute. So, I meant narrative event. I meant narrative event. Tony totally
1: and I both work in software. We know you're wrong, Dan, it's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was really nice and a testament to again, like, you know, how comfortable people were with it. That actually people just picked you up and started playing. They didn't feel a need to worry about um, Like a formal announcement of the start of the round, and a big clock on the wall going up and telling them, you know, they can begin playing, and they've got X amount of time to start deploying and so on. Just so, just go have fun with it. Go, there's your tables, there's your opponent, there's your mission. Have fun. Um, And yeah, it was great. I've loved doing these. Um, I've already got you know um, dates uh, booked in for 2023 for a few different events with tabletop events but the first of which is crucible of war 3 so as i mentioned at the start of the show tickets are available now there'll be a link in the description below if any of this sounds new and interesting to you and you want to go then you know go check out the event pack check the dates and the venue see if it's feasible and if you can get down we'd love to have you there because hopefully you can have a, a great time having a a narrative play experience at an event day like this, possibly for the first time, and if you do, great, you know, we hope we can introduce you to our way to play, and um, it might be something that you'll really enjoy. So, speaking of things that we really enjoy to play, I think it's time that we move on to what Dan has been excitedly waiting for all episode, and uh, that's going to be our look at the Astra Militarum. On crusade. On tour.
1: Fix bayonets forwards for the emperor. Astra Militarum on crusade. And
0: we're back, guys. So um, at this point, Dave has had to uh, sort of leave us for the rest of the show. He's uh, had to head off as he has been getting quite late here. Uh, but it's not a problem. We with... thank you to Dave again for you know, coming on the show and for doing his uh, his bit with us tonight, telling us about his tales from the Crucible and everything else. So I'm sure he'll be listening back to this bit now <laughs> at some point as future Dave. So hello, future Dave. Thank you for listening and contributing as past Dave. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um but right now um daniel is going to take us through the ashramilitarum on crusade because it seems like they have some interesting new crusade roles and uh you're gonna have to lead on this segment daniel because i do not have a copy of this book to hand no
2: that's fine i got my copy uh a few days back and i have been eagerly salivating over the fact that i now have Crusade rules and I can join in with the crusade party um except i i, I as i mentioned earlier it's not uh astromilitary sorry i can't say Milita- it's not imperial guard on, on on crusade it's imperial guard on tour because their their faction specific um crusade mechanic is uh called a tour of duty basically the idea is it's very similar to a modern, modern military um, you get given a tour of duty. I think this would work really nicely in conjunction with the Tau
0: or the Gene Stealer Cult One. Yeah, uh, um, what the, the sort of planetary conquest
2: ones? Yeah, because it's it's they, it it doesn't interact with them, but you could easily do a nice story about it. Like you could write your own narrative. It kind of would work with them both mm. in uh, because it, it basically the idea is. You to complete a tour of duty, not only have you got to get a, a band shirt made for every turn. no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> um basically you roll for two sort of stats. The first one is the number of battles you have to fight, um, and that's two d three plus two, and then the second is the number of victories you will require, which is d three plus two. So This is, potentially, if you're really bad at 40k, you could inevitably end up being on the same Tour of Duty forever. Um, Which would not be great, to be honest, but um, basically their totals, as soon as you've completed your Tour of Duty and got the number of uh, victory points, you have completed your Tour of Duty. Um, That's quite a nice, simple way of keeping track of a singular campaign for Guard because um, I do often find that crusade um, sort of crusade missions tend to peter out with a lot of armies they just they don't actually have a finish so mm. you can potentially just finish after that but I wouldn't because where the guard comes in is sort of a long- term uh, crusade rules which are really nice. So on top of your tour of duty you get something called logistic points and you, I believe, uh, get... I think it's four. I think you get four. Yeah, you get four. And basically, the idea is that you plan out your long-term strategy. Now, you could be really boring and put one point in each of the categories, which gives you no negatives and no bonuses, but that's dull, and I don't expect anybody who uses this as a Crusade book to do so. If you do, I'll come around your house and tell you off. because the best thing about this is for each of the four categories, the four categories, you've got military intelligence, materiel, tithe pool, and morale. So they're your four categories that you can assign logistic points to. Now, each of those categories has a something called a surplus and a deficiency. So if you put extra points into them, you get a bonus, which is exciting. But of course, because you only get four logistic points, it means you're going to have to have a deficiency in a different category.
0: This sounds a lot like awesome. a character create This sounds a lot like a character creation thing in an RPG. Yeah, it's very you very got, cool. It's like, it's like character stats, you know.
2: <clears throat> yeah, so um, I can read through the different uh, categories, surpluses, uh, and deficiencies if you want, Tony, because they're. I'll will give a sort of like a, a, a summary more than a, than the whole rules. So basically, yeah. if you have a surplus in military intelligence, uh, your warlord or if it's an officer gets an additional CP, and then when you choose agendas, you can choose uh, one additional agenda for a game. So that's if you put two points in there. However, if you're if you have no intelligence, you are you have bad intelligence. Um, you deficient in intelligence, which I like the idea of saying. Um, basically, anytime an officer orders a unit on a roll of a one, the order doesn't happen because they forget what day <laughs> of the week is or something, which is quite cool. Um, yeah, they've all and got then, the bonehead
0: rule. Yeah, bonehead yeah. They bonehead. kind of
2: go, uh, they, they issue duff orders, which is really nice and harks back to um, fifth ed as well, where you had to roll leadership tests to get the orders yeah. to pass. Um, and then an additional thing for that deficiency is at the end of the battle unless you're the victor uh, you don't get a requisition point so the i having looked at that that's all quite them, a, that's quite a harsh all of them are harsh all of all of them are really harsh they they're not pleasant so you and bear in mind if you've got the surplus in that category you don't get the deficiency it's because of the way it's done you've got four points so you could put two in yeah. in one and and uh, one in each of
0: the others so, and leave one zero yeah so presumably the most obviously the most even-handed way is to put one in each then you have no bonuses yeah, or negative. but that's boring many. yeah yep. but the next most uh like even-handed way to do it will be to have two categories where you have no bonus or negative yep one category where you've got the bonus from and one yep. category where you've got the negative from
2: or you could do which is what I am probably going to do is put two in one and none in the other two.
3: <laughs> just... oh.
2: So have two surpluses and uh, and uh, two deficiencies, which could be quite fun. So then you've got <laughs> um, material. So if you have a surplus in material, each time a unit from your army is selected, you can reroll
0: one wound roll, which is pretty good. Um, oh, okay yeah yeah, yeah. You, you, you've got that sort of got standard extra um, better yep. better equipment sort of concept yep. a lot of armies have so you get a re-roll so think,
2: each right? of from what i'm looking at also each of the each of the surpluses and the deficiency have a in-game benefit or um bonus and then an after game uh, benefit or bonus and the same with the deficiency yeah. so an in-game deficiency and an after game deficiency so the second bullet point for that one is once after the each battle you can use the rearm or resupply requisition or relic requisition for zero cp uh, zero rp sorry requisition points uh again pretty good um however if you are deficient in material you haven't had your iron tablets or whatever it is that you uh, need to have (laughs) you've got a material deficiency you subtract two from the movement characteristic of any vehicle in your army to a minimum of zero because Mm. you haven't got the fuel to yeah you know give them which is again that's pretty painful i mean it's not bad but it's pretty painful the after game is the rearm and resupply requisition points uh, costs you 2 RP instead of uh, instead of the yeah. 1 so you're already starting to see a pattern for these yeah uh, which is quite nice um the next one is Tithe Pool I like this one this one's cool I, I do like this one um you can in your command phase you can add one destroyed model back to each core infantry unit um oh nice up to its starting strength um which is really cool because it's basically just push more men to the front keep going um and then after the battle you can use the repair recuperate or uh for zero uh, requisition for zero rp again it's that
0: pattern of choosing a particular thing Ooh, you want to use for that's zero. really good because that that's the remove battle scars yeah, um, requisition. So yeah, because you're basically executing all your, your
2: wounded guys and bringing in fresh recruits. That's exactly the point. Uh, however, however, if you're deficient in your pool, uh, in your command phase, your warlord is not on the battlefield. You do not uh, battlefield. You do not get the CP bonus. Ooh, that's right, nasty. Yeah. That's horrible. So you get it if your warlord is on the battlefield, but if he's dead or he's not on the table you don't get that bonus and then the um again the increased this one i think is particularly harsh um after the battlefield you the increased supply limit requisition cost you two rps now that is harsh you might think it's not but if you get to a point where you want to add more units into your army you can't
0: yeah i mean honestly that's probably the most commonly used requisition for me anyway Yeah, yeah 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 i like to try and increase the um my roster by five power level minimum to sort of keep scaling up my games i suppose that becomes less of a drawback once you reach a certain point yeah yeah but to begin with that will be quite hampering
2: I remember. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mention this, but I, I will do now. These stay as is until you have completed your tour of duty. You can't change oh. them until you finish finished your tour of duty. So you've I, got I, to. Yeah,
0: I I assume there would have been a period of time between being able to modify these. I didn't think it would be the entire tour. Yeah,
2: it's the entire
0: tour, um,
2: which is like you, you, I can see myself. So looking at it from a narrative perspective, I can see myself at the beginning of the crusade putting a surplus in tithe pool and putting a surplus in materiel because the idea that you're forming a new regiment you're, you're forgetting yeah and then obviously having a de- deficiency in intelligence because it's a new regiment nobody trusts them and also a deficiency in morale because they're all, yeah i mean you could have a bonus in morale i suppose but
0: um and then it as depends the, how willingly recruited yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the and region. then as
2: as the campaign goes on you sort of like smooth it out so you don't have any of the bonuses and then later on you get better intelligence and your morale goes up but your material and your tithe pool goes down because you just can't get any more recruits so the final category is morale this is quite a nice one the in-game bonus is everyone has plus one leadership characteristic um (coughs) and then at the end of the battle units from your army gain two experience instead of one which again Super good, really, really. Good.
0: Every every unit, every unit in a guard army. Yep, and <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of experience gained. Yeah, uh, for battle experience. Yeah, for battle experience. Yeah, yeah. So they're um, just showing uh, turning up and taking part.
2: Yeah, yeah. But the deficiency is everyone subtracts one from the leadership characteristic. I really like that because that makes them more likely to run away. Um. And you, this is harsh. Units cannot, from your army, cannot be marked for greatness at all. Yeah, I mean, again, I if your you're trying to... with
0: a guard army, you've got a lot of units, so it's not going to make as big a difference. I think it is though, experience.
2: because you're trying to. That in this book, there's very little ways to gain experience from your agendas. I believe. No, there's a few. I could do. I, I think that's the issue. I, I don't know. I think that that's quite harsh for certain things if you want so It's going to take you more time to rack up. But again, that might be you might use that later on in the in the And um, and this is where it sort of has a long-term effect. So it's very from what I I read it it's very um likely that you're gonna play several tours of duty so the idea is that you play over several campaigns um Mm. effectively which sort of links with the octarius books where they talk about campaign um uh campaign um phases and rounds no it's the
0: you can get campaign medals effectively but oh yes because yeah you get a you get a campaign badge keyword for yes, each that's of the it. various campaigns you do. I mean, I suppose to me this naturally lends to the idea of um, if you say we're playing in a local club campaign that was going to last three months, you don't roll for the length of the tour. You just class the campaign as the length as of the, the tour. tour, yeah. Because if you, if you know that it's going to be a ten, twelve game campaign, then you just consider that to be your tour length, yeah. You, you still um, roll to see how many victories you need to achieve within it.
2: Well, no, because that the 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 point is you need to get both. You need to get the number of victories. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah which I mean, you would inherently get the number of tar games by play, just playing the campaign. Oh yeah, you but just,
2: then you might not get the victories, which means you which can't... you might
0: not. So you would you would still roll for that one, is what I'm saying. You would so you would have to roll to see how many victories you need to achieve. Right. Okay. So then there's within a your preset, tour you don't time. get it. I mean. I mean, in theory, if you didn't get that, if you didn't get your, say, five wins out of 10 gate out of 12 games, then you just keep playing. Like you say, you just consider your tour to be ongoing. But I I think that would give you a natural. I I think the intention, by the sounds of it, is that you would probably, in theory, achieve your victories before reaching your requisite number of games. You'd hope so. You don't. So. <laughs>
2: You've obviously never seen me play 40K, Tony. Well, yeah, you
0: know, <laughs> but, but <clears throat> yeah. I
2: mean, there is a third thing, uh, and this is where I come onto the sort of campaign. They have their own sort of campaign medals um, mechanic, mm. um, but they don't have keywords. So you know, like in Octarius, it's like a keyword thing. Whereas this is 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 their sort of main focus on this. So at the end of each of your each battle you get an additional uh, sort of currency, I suppose, called a commendation point. So you, if you uh, if you won a battle, you get D3 commendation points. If you uh, fight in a battle, you get one. So this is not on... So you can get a maximum of four per game. Um, these are not given to units. This is just given to your army. So this is sort of like how many commendation points you're award- awarded. And these are sort of like how noticeable you've been um, to the higher ups, I suppose. Um, so you can also earn com- uh, commendation points through agendas um, and but you, this is where the guard book slightly falls down if you're only going to be playing a couple of games of Crusade you can only spend those after a tour of duty. So after you finish a tour of duty, I mean the minimum number of games that you will play to complete a tour of duty would be three, no, four. Yeah, yeah. Four.
0: I mean, that would be. I think the general uh, aim for most of the Crusade mechanics are they intended to be played over, you know, quite a long number of games. Mm. I mean, last episode we were talking about the Chaos Demons on Crusade, and they literally played in rounds of eight games. Yeah, like, so actually this would they... work
2: really nicely with the Demon 1, because you you probably get two tours in for the Demon 1,
0: which is yeah, like, quite nice. To, com- to complete a round of the Great Game, it's every eight games that you play. Right. So yeah, it doesn't matter about the outcome, just every no. eight
3: games yeah, is a the round of
0: the Great Game. Um, So
2: you get something called a campaign medal, which you can spend on some of the commendation, you can spend the commendation points and eat. This is like one and a half pages of medals, which is really <laughs> cool. So, of all the things I wanted, and I know I bang on about this when I was talking about in the past, I want pages and pages of medals that I can get. I, I get pages and pages of medals now uh, that I can select. So, um, just to give you some of these, there's some really strange ones actually. I quite like this one. So, this is the merit of uh, the strategium, which is three commendation points, and again these are, commendation points are given to your army, and then some of these you select you then select units to give these commendations to so it's, it's you collect them as an army, but c- you can give their commendations out to specific units, or sometimes whole uh, it's mostly looking at it, it's mostly core, officer, Vehicle, platoon, the usual sort of keywords. There's one for yeah. cavalry, there's one for battle tank, but most of it is infantry and vehicle war. Um, I'll just read out a few of them. Uh, this one, as I said, the merit of the strategium, three commendation points. The merit of the strategium has been rewarded for a wide variety of commendable actions, shrewd forward planning, instinctive preparation of battlefield assets, terrain intelligence um, gained through voluntary infiltration all are deeds that sap the enemy's advantages at every turn and this is why i've read this one because this one's a bit strange for a it, it 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 does something that 40k mechanics don't usually do which is quite interesting officer unit only before uh the battle after the battlefield is created if this unit is in your crusade army roll a d6 on a four plus you can just choose whether you want to be the attacker or defender Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it, it's quite an interesting one. It's like, oh, that's that's interesting. That's not really something they do with the sort of, muck around with the, that part of the game, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. That's one of the, the, the sort of more out there ones. There are the standard yep. ones where um, you can select additional doctrines, Uh, You can gain command points. There's another one which I quite like, which was the Steel Armorial. Uh, This is one accommodation point. Um, This award honours those who keep the regiment vehicle pool at peak operation, whether through fruitful air contacts with the Adeptus Mechanicus, the acquiring of parts. Parts, sorry. From the uh, Allied regiments, or distribu- uh, distributing the net. acquiring of parts. yeah, yeah, it is in <laughs> it, it, it is in uh, quotation marks as well. Um, and basically, you c- this is why I quite like this one because you can either this is one of the strange ones as well. you Can either give it to a vehicle, or you can give it to an an engine seer. Um, and basically, okay. it allows you to ignore one failed out of action test for any uh, friendly vehicle.
0: Ah, nice! It's sort of like the the Tech Marine crusade yeah. bonus <laughs> it, yes bonus fixing it up.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, just trying to see if there's any others. There's a nasty one. I mean, this is one like this is one that I I please don't abuse this one because I think this one is quite nasty. Bastion Honor, two commendation points, infantry, and this is where I think it could be abused. Cavalry unit only. Yeah. Uh, can perform heroic interventions.
3: Fraglands,
2: yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I looked at that one and went, Ooh, "Ow, ow." Um, you've got a few other. Uh, one you can give. Uh, there's the the most expensive one. Is they're usually from anywhere from one to five. So the most expensive one is Medallion Resolute. Uh, which is five command points with uh, conspicuous valor. These soldiers have held on to the key battle, uh, battle locations, forcing back the enemy with firepower, uh, um, and it is claimed faith. And basically, it gives that unit um, ob- objective secure. So you could put it on a, <laughs> you could put it on something, anything, anything. You
0: could top. put it, you could put it on a commissar with a banner.
2: Yep indeed you could um <laughs> you could put it on you could put it on a a a, a martial arts specialist sentinel as well for example
0: <laughs> that too
2: yeah um yeah so one thing to note though if you don't spend all your commendation points before starting a new tour of duty they're completely lost you can't save them up over yeah multiple tours, so um, and that's it. Unless you want me to go through every single individual one, I think I've given you no, quite no, a good flavour of, of the different yeah. commendations.
0: So, the idea with those basically is you're acquiring commendation points throughout your tour. Yep. And these are basically sort of like a, a pseudo experience point system.
2: Yes. But rather
0: we... than it being tied to single units, it's a pool that you build up army-wide. Yep. and at the end of the tour you can cash them all in for a series of sort of like medals. battle trades yeah, medals um, um,
2: the only real difference between these and the Octarius thing is they don't
0: give you keywords, there's no there's no keyword given yeah, yeah, like yeah it's they. just uh, you've got this particular fancy commendation for this particular oh, unit it
2: is also worth noting you can't give them two named characters, no unit can have more than three campaign medals and obviously the more campaign you give Campaign medals you give a unit the more crusade points they acquire
0: just yeah as yeah, standard yeah. so it's the I mean, standard sort of stuff for crusade i mean free, <laughs> uh, free medal. uh presumably can you only give one medal per unit per tour
2: i don't think you can i think you can give them more than one unit so
0: if, so if you wanted you could after one tour give one unit three commendations
2: um, I believe so. Let me just quickly look, each time you, you can do uh, uh, uh If the has one or two campaign medals, then increase the cruise by one. If it has three campaign medals, increase this by two. Unit can have a lot more. Uh but you no, the only restriction is you can't have the same medal twice.
0: Okay, fair enough. So you could just
2: yeah effectively i mean going.
0: personally i would probably spend about as much as possible rather than just steeping all well, your i mean you're guy, gonna unless... get
2: a lot you're gonna get a lot you get one commendation point per battle so let's take like a four game duty yeah. that's already four points say you win all four of them because that's the best way you could do it um that's Potentially another, a minimum of eight points, a maximum of three, four, 12, six, uh, 16 points. I mean, that's already a ton of medals, and that's not uh, points. That's 16 commendation points, and that's not even including any of the agendas that get you in uh, commendation points as well. So you're looking at way into double
0: figures when you finish the tour.
3: <laughs>
0: so you're going
2: to be you know giving medals thinking.
0: out left, right, and centre. Well you know what I'm thinking as well? I think this commendation system, this would be perfect for a campaign master to actually just divvy out at the end of a campaign to yeah. all armies and players in the campaign. It'd be like, Yo, you've earned this commendation, you've earned this commendation, it doesn't have to be <laughs> You have specific. a commendation,
2: you have a commendation. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, it sounds fun.
2: So it is. I looked at it and went, That's really cool. That is very so, cool.
0: So what we've got here, then, in terms of unique faction mechanics, you've essentially got almost like a, an additional form of like doctrine-style army-wide rule that you're creating yep. with your um,
3: uh, Logistic logistics points. Yeah,
0: it's yep. so you're saying that you know, for this crusade, my army is going to have X bonus and X um, debuff. Yeah, this tour is going to last for X number of games. Yep. In that time, I need to win X number of them, and throughout all of it, you'll be tracking and earning commendation points, which will be uh, earned for playing games, winning games, and completing agendas. Yep. And at the end of a Tour of Duty, you will then cash in all your commendation points for unique battle honours and upgrades on units. Yep. And at that point, you can then rejigger around with. Yeah, the, and then the
2: whole process do. starts again. So it's very Back cyclical, again. which I quite like. That I quite like. So you can just go, right, I'm done now. Or I need to. I want it, to. It's that. Out of all. I don't know I, uh, as many different codecs as Crusade, but I like it because it has a clear start and finish.
0: But can also keep going. But can keep going. So it's
2: really nice. Um, I really like it.
0: I quite to me, uh, that gives a very natural point to say take a break and transition to another army for a while.
3: Yeah, so, like for maybe. example,
0: if I was playing, if I had a collection of guard and a collection of demons, I could play a tour of duty with my guard, and then I could play a round of the Great Game with my demons. So for the next eight games, play my demons, and then after that, if I wanted, I could go back and do another tour of duty with my guard, but I could pick them up where I left them, you know, sort of yeah. thing. And yeah. So come back to it even though I've changed armies in the meantime and it's probably been a couple of them so I can come back and kind of pick my crusade up right where I left it and do another tour
2: yeah I mean I, I do look at this and go this is really cool and then I look at some of the older armies and think some of them don't have as cool crusade rules like it's just extra relics extra this extra that and I do feel I don't feel jealous because I you know, I've got my book. But I do feel not sorry, what's the word? Maybe it's just a shame that not all books have the same kind of like the Tower one seems awesome, the Genius of the Cult one seems awesome, uh the Demon one sounds bonkers. Um But then you got the marine one, which is
0: dumb. almost nothing really. Yeah. It, it, um, I mean, they, they've had multiple additions to theirs in the Warzone just to give really? you something. like The yeah. most interesting things they have going for them is um, the relic banners and whichever... Uh, to be honest, the most interesting thing for the Space Marines is whatever the chapter-specific things are. Yeah, so you like know, the Blood
2: like, Angel one being able to turn into a Death Company captain. That one I really like.
0: That's yeah, very cool. the sagas of the Space Wolves, yeah. Uh, yeah. stuff like that. You know, they hunt for the Fall and the Dark Angels. It's more about the chapter-specific mechanics, which yeah. admittedly does leave things like Imperial Fists and Ultramarines you know, a, a bit wanting in that department.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but hey-ho. I'm sure they will get some sort of additions to it in future codexes. because I'm, I'm sure it, they will. Um, I mean,
2: I, I think it's ha-
0: obvious... I was going to say, I think it's obvious at this point that the Crusade development team have obviously been developing the system throughout the edition, and you can see...
2: The evolution of it.
0: Yeah, you can see the evolution of yeah. it in the more recent codexes. You could definitely
2: fit this one with the Gene Stealacot one and the Tau one perfectly. It would be really... Um it would be really fun to do with the Tau one or the Gene
0: Stealer one. Uh, I don't know the Chaos one, actually. I'm not sure what that one does. It's funny how you mentioned at the start that this one could be somewhat punishing, actually, if um, if you don't win your games and they're sort of stuck locked into your tar for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, this isn't the most punishing one going. The Chaos Space Marine one is definitely the one that is the most punishing Right, because it's um, that, it, you failed me for the last time. Type it really is yeah. like the um, the chaos lord, as it were, who's leading their crusade is dealing with so many challenges um, while trying to maintain command and earn the favor of the gods and all the rest of it. That actually, a succession of significant or persistent losses can actually cripple your crusade force. Wow, I, I think I remember commenting at the time that um, it's one of the few instances where I feel like. You could potentially feel like you've kind of lost in your crusade, and it's worth scrapping it and starting over from scratch. Wow, you'll be so in a it's better very punishing. Wow,
2: that is very punishing. Yeah, there's definitely no negatives. Um, that aren't apart from not being able to win the games, you just keep fighting until <laughs> the emperor just keeps making you go to the front. Please, can we stop? No, you need to go and win more games. All right, then. Um, at that, this point, yeah. Tony, would you like me to talk you through some agendas? Go on then, yeah. Give us some examples
0: of how you earn commendations in the game.
2: Okay, so, um, so interestingly, some of these are kind of rewrites from the Octarius book, of which name eludes me right now. The first Octarius book, um, and this one in particular is, I, I think, it's a rewrite from a secondary from a tournament, or it's, it's very similar to. And um, this one's called Advance for the Emperor. Uh, basically, you have to end up with. Uh, you can select up to six Astra units from your army uh, that are within your opponent's deployment zone. So very much charge and damn the guns type type thing, which is quite cool. Um, and for each unit you have, uh, it gains an experience point. And if your warlord is in your opponent's deployment zone, you get a accommodation point. So it's very much the sort of like general needs to be doing what he needs to be doing.
0: You've um, only had a mechanical horse to get him there. Yeah. Stupid
3: mechanical horse. I really <laughs> don't like that model. <laughs>
0: the funny thing was, right, I, I, I was listening to a podcast, I can't remember which one it was, but I was listening to some people discussing about how cool it would be um, if he had a, a mechanical horse and like the Mechanicum guys. And I'm like, you've clearly not looked close enough at the model. Yeah, You've just I mean, glanced my, at it and seen, my, it's a horse, it's a horse, but he's actually mechanical.
2: Yeah, I mean, my issue with it is his face is dull. He's got a dull <laughs> face, which is, you know, you look at all those sculpts of um, Yarrick, God bless his soul, and um, and like uh, Strachan and even Gorn, the new sculpt of Gorn, they're all like, yeah, screaming or doing orders or like, going, yeah, we're the best. And you look at Captain Misery Guts on his back of his horse and he's just like, yep, I'm on a horse. <laughs> he's like the guy out of the Old Spice ads, I'm on a horse that's weird if you if you haven't seen those ads look them up but that's him anyway
0: <laughs> look at your objectives now back to me now back yeah yeah look at the objectives back now back to me. to me now your
2: objectives are now diamonds <laughs> i'm on a horse, <laughs> I'm, on a horse. <laughs> I'm on a horse um yeah so there's there's um this one's quite fun propagandist coup um which you basically select three vehicle or monsters from your opponent's army Um, and then if you destroy them you get two experience points Uh, but if all of them are destroyed you get accommodation point Um, and oh no sorry all if if all but one are selected you get uh, destroyed you get a commendation point. If you destroy all three, you get these 3 commendation points. So like the commendation points are in addition to experience or... So you get the experience, but if you go above and beyond, it's like kind of making you do that above and beyond type thing, which is quite cool.
0: It's almost um, like you're doing something commendable.
2: Yeah, funny that. <laughs> Um, and then you've got the the, uh, new requisitions there's the old classic which is Uplifting Primarchs which has taken a slight change I believe from the Octarius book so in the Octarius book it gave you um, it gave you uh, one additional experience point and also uh, it gave you a plus one to your leadership but in this it gives you oh yeah in this one it doesn't change your, your experience it basically allows you to use the insane bravery stratagem for one CP for that unit
3: oh, nice. and
2: gives you one additional experience point uh, for devastate if if the unit did not suffer a devastating blow so it keeps the additional experience point but changes the leadership to you can use the um, insane bravery stratagem which I think is really good because you're gonna be using that quite well you can only use it once per game but it's for one CP that's pretty nuts um, then you've got last-minute transfer which is purchase this when an asteroid vehicle from your crew safe force is either suffers a devastating blow or a battle scar replace that unit with an asteroid vehicle unit consists of one or more of the same regimental doctrine as the unit replaced the new model starts with the same campaign medals. It's basically just swapping out. Um, yeah, it has the same appropriate number of battle honours for its rank. The new model must have the same battle honours replaced as as the unit replaced, but not battle scars for any remaining battle honours. And for any battle honour, it cannot be applied to select a new battle. Yeah, basically, you just transfer the old unit out for a new one. Uh, you get the standard ones where you can add tank cases and decorated officers lets you add power on as decorated officer was in um was in octarius i remember using that um sequester support staffs an interesting one it allows you to add um an infantry officer when you add an infantry officer it allows you to add um one or more attache models or bodyguard models to that unit um so basically, uh, I don't know how well you know the codex, um, Tony, but you can add like, that's how you add Ogryn bodyguards or astropaths or right. um, any of the, yeah, so they, they let you jig j- around with that. Um, and then the two last ones, so this is where the book kind of confuses me slightly. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Consolidate Regiments, Consolidated Regiments, which Basically, allows you to give your force a different regimental doctrine. Okay, I mean that's interesting to switch out. Like, well, something. yeah, but this is where it confuses me because it says in the in the, in the regimental doctrines, it's the only bit of Crusade rules in that's not outside the Crusade rules. Basically, it says when you start a guard Crusade force, they have to have the born soldiers. Regimental doctrine, and they get given that straight away. So I was thinking, cool. So if you want to start changing your regiment, you have to fight against the changes. But they've then made this stratagem a zero. Sorry, this uh, requisition a zero RP for the first time you use it. Okay. Yeah,
0: it's right, kind I, of like... I get it. No, I get it. So basically. It, it, it's just a wordy way of saying when you first create your army in crusade, you can have any regimental doctrine.
2: I know, but why not write that? That just seems over. right.
0: <laughs> that that was you, my confusion. I, I just like I can tell. I can tell you why it's it's kind of like from a software engineering point of view. <laughs> this is this is basically um, it, it's a property argument um, for the item. <laughs> because what it is is that they're taking the same component and using it to basically say this does a thing and it can be used as either a default setting or you can import a new setting
3: so in order
0: to save space without writing it twice they've said you can do it for zero the first time you do it so we haven't had to write a separate thing elsewhere that specifies you can pick for free but yeah but in a way though
2: I think it would be cooler that you start off with born soldiers and then you have to just earn like, just get rid of the zero CP thing. Just saying, yes, yeah, two requisition points if you want to
3: <laughs>
2: change regiment. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just what well, uh, well, I, I know. Be
0: funny is if it was something like this costs three requisition points, but is one requisition point cheaper for every tour of duty you've completed.
2: Yeah, or something like that. That would be quite cool.
0: That would be quite cool.
2: <laughs> uh, anyway, I. Uh, but that's, yeah, I mean, ba- basically.
0: Yeah, basically, what it's saying is that when you create a crusade force, you can use any regimental yeah. doctrine that you want to begin with. But, but. if at some point mid crusade you want to change out your doctrine, yeah, of course you can do so for two
2: Yeah, yeah two, two RP, points. sorry, yeah. And then the other one isn't strange. I just really like this one, it's quite nice. So, this one is, co- I like the title for a starters. it's Commit Everything. <laughs> even the kitchen all, so it, yeah it's not all you
0: know, the crimes
2: all the things commit everything no it's literally just like yeah throw everything at the enemy Um so this one so the campaign senior commander has designated an upcoming battle that's so vital that they will funnel all of their resources and assets into securing victory so if you use this you kind of feel like oh I better win
0: um, <laughs> if anything ever had this stratagem says i win the game it should yeah, be this yeah 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 yeah.
2: you must win this for go logistic management in favor of overwhelming force basically you purchase this before the battle select one deficiency effect from the logistics and you just don't use it so you just don't have that deficiency for
3: okay. that
2: battle, which i really really like and because just to stop people from going i'm going to use this all the time you can only use it once per tour of duty so yeah. it's literally i want to win this game
0: and this is the game at the end of the campaign that lot yeah of the throw of the everything to at it yeah. yeah yeah
2: i really like that one That's that one's cool. it's got a great title great description and i like the idea of it it's just there
0: we go um yeah. Well, do you want to sort of round us out then with a couple of Crusade relics? Maybe?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will mention. Sorry, I know we haven't mentioned the um, the traits. They are very similar, if not well, identical, to um, the Octarius book. So that they've got the craze, stealthy dead eye shots,
0: etc. For the infantry and yeah. in cavalry. I mean, the other thing is, it sounds like the sort of the racial mechanic really is their battle traits. Yeah. Know? So yeah, yeah, yeah obviously yeah. There's, there's some unique ones in there to sort of hand out with your actual XP that you're earning, but it sounds like the commendations really are their sort of fancy battle yeah. traits. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um so interestingly in the Crusade relics, um, a lot of the previous guardsmen normal relics, for want of a better word, have actually made their way into the Crusade relics. Okay. So the mask that, that's master... what
0: happened that's honestly what happened to the Orc Codex. Ah, a lot right. the, a lot of the eighth edition Orc relics became the Crusade Relics in the Remedition right. box. That's cool. Um so Pietrov's
2: uh Mark forty five bolt pistols in there, the skull mask of Acheron's in there. That's that's changed quite a lot actually. That's that's quite nice. It it, it works against everyone now quite well but it does extra stuff to orcs so you <laughs> subtract one it's a six inch aura subtract one from leadership characteristics and models in the uh, in the unit um yeah enemy units sorry um subtract one from combat attrition test taken for that unit and if it's orcs orcs can't benefit from aura abilities which is quite <laughs> horrible yeah that's quite yeah, that's nasty um then you've also got the Star of Terrors back in there, which does exactly the same thing um, as it did in Octarius, which is 4-plus invulnerable save. You can order the same. Uh, oh, no, it is different. My mistake. Sorry, You can, it's the M- Medal Macario that's the same. Uh, you get 4-plus invulnerable save. Uh, when the bearer gains his first uh, crusade relic, select one warlord trait for them. And then they can have an additional Warlord trait. Uh, Once per battle, they can select an Epic Deed for zero CP. Um, That was an antiquity relic. And then you've got the only one legendary relic, which is a legendary tank. (laughs) I mean, that's a relic to have, isn't it, really? You can have a legendary tank. And it's called the Behemoth Primal, which is an amazing name for a tank. Um, and it's got a great description. Eerily similar legends from the most lauded armored regiments dating back millennia and appearing across the breadth of the Imperium speak of a battle tank like no other. It's got cup holders. It is said to have, <laughs> it's said to have served in countless regiments, refitted with numerous weapon configurations, but never failing. Uh, it's crew. I like the idea. It's kind of. Have you ever seen Only Fools and Horses where um, Trigger has the same broom, but basically it's it's had seven different heads and, and 15 different handles? That's kind of it. It's like, oh yeah, this tank is. I've had this tank for years.
0: It's had three it's different. The, um, it's the ship of Theseus.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and basically, oh, apparently it's survived direct hit from volcano cannons powering through. Blah, 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 blah. Basically, tank commander, it's it's very 40k, the description. Uh, tank commander only, the bearer has toughness nine. Now, that's interesting. Uh, a toughness nine, Lehman Ross is pretty cool, because you can only take it on tank commanders, and from my memory, they're no, only, only Lehman Russes.
0: Yeah, and I was going the... to say because the the Rugal Dawn and the Bain Blade are already tough to nine. Well,
2: so there is kind of a way you can make a pseudo tank commander with uh, tank cases. So that...
0: fair enough, but this yeah. is clearly intended for a Rust.
2: Yeah, this is clearly intended for a Russ. And the bearer cannot lose more than six wounds in the same phase.
0: Oh, after...
2: yes, it's one of those. It's one of those. It's a it's, it's a, 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 a wounds phase cap. Yeah, which is quite cool.
0: Um, yeah, a, a, a phase-locked rus as t Yeah, 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 that's,
2: that's No pretty, wonder I mean, survive it survives
0: hits from a volcano no, cannon.
2: Yeah, it is a legendary relic, so, I mean, the chances yeah. of you using it are... Yeah. I've never seen anyone use a legendary relic, unless you're really going for that sort of thing. But um, And, as per usual, at the end of the Codex, you've got... Well, near the end of the Codex, you've got a lovely... Name generator for Cadian, Catatan, Krieg, Talon, Val and Vostrians. Anyone's not missing there as well, and tank and tank names as well. So if you ever wanted a a, a, a Doom Talon or a, a, I don't know a, a Crimson Raw, that's a rubbish
0: tank name, or a Jasmine,
2: yeah, or a Jasmine, or the Baleful Conflagurator, which is <laughs> Conflagurator. Sorry, I can't read. Or, uh, my personal favourite, uh, the Brazen Faithful. You've got... Oh, that's cool. They've even got Regiment's name or number as one of the options, which is quite cool. So you could have the Valhalla Duke. And there's a Warzone one as well, which is quite a nice idea. So there's quite a few little nice, um, little things on there. And, uh, ironically, they've got, um... Peachy's army in the crusade section. That's a bit of a
0: faux pas, isn't it? Oops, never mind. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll go past that quickly. Well, actually, <laughs> it, it's funny that you mentioned that because that is a perfect segue into oh, uh, my community spotlights. Because, um, so first of all, thank you very much for running us through the um, the Royal Tower on Crusade there. I think it sounds very much like something that the guard have been waiting a long time for and I'm gonna have a lot of fun with and i'm sure you're looking forward to playing some crusades with them i am indeed but yeah um to sort of round us out tonight then we'll quickly jump into our community spotlights because one of my two that i wanted to mention tonight uh, somewhat features peachy <laughs> because um I've I've obviously, like many people, I was curious to see where he would land on his feet once he decided he was moving on from Games Workshop, and uh, he's ended up with uh, some folks over on YouTube um, on a channel called The Painting Phase.
2: Yes, it's fascinating. I've seen the video. It's fascinating,
0: fascinating insight, which is... uh... It is, yes. So I've been um, really interested in following their sort of like... um, conversation uh, episodes that they do so they've been doing like sort of like podcast style mm. format stuff um like once a week in addition to all the um you know, like painting stuff that they do do on the channel because um it's it's a really interesting uh, uh, group of guys and they're all actually ex games workshop employees in, ah. in one shape or another um they um they one of the team is actually one of the guys who uh, was the first sort of producer for the battle report series on Warner Plus.
2: Ah right, yes. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so on. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting to sort of see their insight into stuff because they've been having a they've been having some not behind the scene talks as such, but just giving you insights as past employees who are no longer sort of bound by <laughs> the It's the quite
2: enlightening
0: yeah, and to be fair to them all, you know, Peachy particularly, they all they they all have relatively positive views of the company and their time there, and you know the insights into how it all works, and they're they're sympathetic to the challenges that games of the shop faces, as well as having their own sort of thoughts. Yeah, it, the critique, you know, the constructive critiques. Yeah, and of stuff it's of it's, the way it's not like.
2: a bunch of guys um, just. Racking on about how no, will, they're not. It's not that kind yeah. of thing. So if you're there for that kind of thing, well, you shouldn't be. For
0: it, start. Come on <laughs> now. But yeah, it they're is not really in... on Games Workshop. It's, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 really it's interesting. interesting to just hear. Yeah, it feels like a peek behind the curtain thing yeah. rather than a rant. You know, um, and I find them really interesting to listen to. So yeah, if if you want to go follow PG's adventures in the hobby and others. Uh, besides then yeah go check out the guys over on youtube at the painting phase um it's really really interesting stuff that they're doing um and then additionally i did also want to shout out one um instagram account which i've shouted out before but it's because he's recently completed
3: i want to see these (laughs) because
0: i
2: always get new ones after after we do these right go on then i'm ready
0: yeah, this, these are really good. This is um, a project that he's sort of recently come to completion, or at least he's moving on to his next stage. So this is um, Gubbins Painter over on Instagram, and in particular it's his Harlequins, which I'm sure, Daniel you'll see in a second how ridiculous these things are and amazing.
2: Is it Painter-a with an A yeah. at the end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's Gubbi- Gubbins with a Z. Oh, I've seen uh, them, they're out. amazing! that noise should sort of say why you know. Oh, oh, they're good. I mean, again, yeah. is radio, but oh, they're really good.
0: So um, these Harlequins is basically this whole troop that he's done now. He's done like a five-man troop plus a troop master, and I think he's started to expand it now. Um, it's there's a reason why he's only done five or six of them so far. It's because basically he's been taking each Harlequin model and he's been sculpting it as if there's like a mirror image of it following it in a sort of delayed uh chromatic field effect. It, it's um, a proper holofield.
2: It it, yeah. it just looks like a proper holofield. it's I almost feel like, I think in motion. They are so good. Like yeah. And they're really you could Right. So they're really jarring in a good way so you look at them and go oh i can see how a hollow field would really mess with you
0: yeah it's it's one of those things where it's real technique in a model representing like a lore a lore aspect of how that model moves on the field yeah so these harlequins are leaping around and their chromatic fields and their hollow fields are kicking in and you see after images and blurred images and colour spectrums all and over the He's place. done that cool and... diamond thing as well, which is these are yes. lovely. They are spectacular. And he's he's done, you know, loads of brilliant stuff. Um but those in particular, um I shouted him out probably a good six months ago or something, where he sort of did the first one and he's now got a small troop sort of finished and he's moving on to some extra models for them now and yeah, they they look fantastic, so go check them out on the instagram that's at gubbin's painter so again links and descriptions in the link below um but it's uh, it's all there and then uh how about yourself dan um can i give a
2: shout out uh to uh a friend of mine who i actually saw this weekend um it is forty k well it's more thirty k related but um the guys from Battle Bling, uh john and, and the uh, and the lot. They do a load of cool three D proxy type stuff uh, for Titans, but they also do loads of heresy stuff as well. So, uh, and uh, he's a very good friend of mine. So, I thought I'd give him a shout out.
0: uh, Where can you go find his stuff? Uh, BattleBling
2: at BattleBling Store at BattleBling Store, I think it is, or at BattleBling on Instagram.
0: Lovely. Um, So yeah. I think then that is probably everything for this week or this month rather uh, I'm hoping possibly to get another episode out before Christmas and the new year um, Christmas so... quiz Christmas quiz oh don't make me do a quiz I don't Christmas know Christmas quiz <laughs> Christmas quiz hey one of the things I'm looking forward to with the Acts of Omen is the fact that I'm going to be able to do some more fun packs episodes.
2: I know but I really want that book that's the thing I really want the book so it means I'm going to have to either pretend I haven't read it or not read it and it looks really good it actually
0: looks a decent book well I've been thinking as well Dan that I might start doing um, like condensed versions of the fun facts stuff as uh, short form YouTube videos so nice. I could I could put them up and put them on YouTube but it does mean you'll have to not watch them <laughs> before recording the relevant episode
3: okay oh it's hard. All right, I'll
0: try. I'll try. But yeah, we'll see. So maybe look out for that in the future, guys. Um, But yeah, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see um, what we've got coming out in you know end of the year, new year. Um, I'll see what episodes we can pull together before the new year. I've got one in mind lined up with a guest. Um, I'm hoping I'll get it, you know, recorded now before Christmas. But might be you know New Year time. We'll see. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we will see you again before the new year.
2: I hope so. Hope I see you again so before too. the new year. <laughs> I hope I see you again. Well, hopefully, well, fingers crossed, we get to do another game at some point because that was that was nice actually playing meet like playing in
0: person. We'd not actually played before that um, game. So. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's Um Still funny to think that was our first game ever Together, but yeah I'm sure we will at some point point. And yeah, uh, lots of plans for the new year Hopefully I'm going to be able to shuffle Some work schedules around to make More time for content creation So hopefully I might be able to start doing some really Fun stuff for the YouTube channel In 2023 So yeah, I'm looking forward To all of it Very cool So yeah Thank you, Dan, for uh, coming on and uh, doing this tonight. No problems. Thank you, Dave, for coming on earlier and uh, doing it again. And thank you to future Dave for listening to it back now. <laughs> uh, so, thanks again, You should again, get a Dave.
2: pre-recording of him going, no problems. That would be quite, <laughs> would be quite fun. I'm sure you can
0: I, do that. I could probably just, find a voice snippet or something. Yeah. Talking <laughs> rubbish
2: or whatever, that'd be fun.
0: yeah <laughs> uh, Right, so until next time guys this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast, helping you to discover more ways to play 40K.